white is green. Are we streaming? Where's my intro? Here we go. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Coco Talk is rocking the eight bit world. This is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. It's time to drop your socks and grab your real time clocks and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the eight bit world. Keeping the tandy flame alive We may be mocked, but we'll never stop Cause Coco Talk is rocking the eight-bit world <laughs> And welcome oh. to Coco Talk Episode 109, Modern Day Coco and Curtis, why don't you take it off and get our great panel here introduced? Oh boy, I wasn't expecting that. Okay, <laughs> well, welcome everybody. Um, it's uh, the modern day cocoa is a subject today, and we'll kind of get into that in the discussion topic area of the show. But uh, I guess we'll go around the panel, and hopefully, it doesn't bounce around on me like it did last time. And uh, who do we want to start with? Up in the upper left corner, Mark. How are you doing? Hello, pretty good. And you're actually on the panel now instead of stuck in that little box in the bottom. Yeah, we uh, I figured out some settings and um, got it going. And so, right uh, beside you, another Mark. <laughs> so I, I just I alphabetically sorted. I'm not sure. But how are you doing, Mark? I'm doing Overall. okay, too. I'm recovering from Coco Fest. Did you get Is a Coco Fest flu or anything or what? No, no. I just I got stuck for a while some other weird guys. <laughs> and here you are again <laughs> and next up from uh is it sunny arizona today it Ron is Delbo? very much so yeah yep I, yes. I remember last week you were talking about you might have had rain at some point yes we did, did. ever happen i oh, think it's behind us now it looks like we have about six days of uh, at least sunshine it's gonna be good i can send you some rain no nope. yeah, we're, we're getting yeah. drizzled on right now so then up from Canada, I don't know if it's raining, snowing, or what it's doing there. And uh, Nick Maruda, rain, how are you rain, doing? Rain, rain, rain all week. It's pretty wet, but other than that, I'm doing great. Thank you. Are you guys getting flooding in your area, like Montreal and other places? Uh, we like did. Yeah, we had some flood. I wasn't affected personally, but I know people who were. And uh, yeah, it's pretty. It was pretty, uh, pretty bad. You were sad and begging in that. <laughs> and next up on the road which seems to be almost his normal way of coming onto the show these days. Mr. Jason Reichert, how are you doing? Uh, live from the Ohio Turnpike. Yeah, very well. Just recovering from Hamvention and a little bit of a Cocoa Fest hangover still. Are you heading to another convention of some sort at the moment or? Uh, I'm actually going to go, I'm going to go visit uh, my brother. You know, 
is oh, going to be or can can make it. I think it's it's uh, Co Coco ni sibling nerdery then, right? It could happen. <laughs> Sorry, Ron. What were you saying? He's going to T Town. Ah, Toledo. And next up is the world famous uh, maker of the Coco VGA or designer of <laughs> uh, Brendan Donahue. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm going to be getting back into doing some stuff with that a little bit later on too. I got my Coco one with a Coco M Junior and the Coco VJ. That's some working on stuff for both. But how are you doing? Yeah, fine, sir. I'm doing all right. Um, I think mostly finally recovered from uh, from Coco Fest and um, finally unpacked and starting to do installs for people again. Cool. I mean, how are you doing on on board compatibility these days? Is there um, so there's uh, no no updates there. We have uh, three different Coco two boards. So you know the T one and then a couple, uh, you know the Korean, the Rev B American, and uh, basically all the Coco twos are supported now in in some form of board or another. And still only the the Rev F Coco one board. Okay, so we're still waiting for DZs, and of course we've seen the hack about yeah. the MC ten. I don't know if you're going to officially support that or not. But. Right. So I should mention that uh, between Ed. Uh, Ed and uh, David O'Connor here, uh, Ed Snyder and David O'Connor, they actually have a, a uh, I think a, a Rev F uh, Coco VGA board in something that's not a, a Rev F Coco one. Isn't that right, David? Yeah, actually, yeah, it's a, uh, a revolu uh, revolution, <laughs> revision, <laughs> a revolution, it might as well be. It's a revision <laughs> board that I've got mine running on at the moment, so yeah. Right. So, you know, it can be done with, you know, some adapters to, to move some things around. But uh, anyway. Cool. And speaking of David O'Connor, I haven't seen you in a while. Have you been, I guess, ill and stuff. I know you said you had a migraine, I think, last time. So yeah, how's your health doing week. and how are you doing in general with Cocoa stuff? Yeah, a lot better this week, actually. Yeah, last week I had a migraine, so I wasn't able to be on the panel and I missed all you guys. It was it's a bit disappointing each week when I'm not on, but... Uh, yeah, back uh, back here and well this week. So uh, I've got the Coco Three behind me at the moment. But um, as uh, as Brendan was saying just then before, my uh, main Coco Two, uh, sorry Coco One that I've had since uh, since the eighties, since brand new. That's a Revision E one, and it's uh, it's running a Coco VGA um, on the e board with one of uh, Ed Snyder's little adapters he made up for me, a custom made job, and it works perfectly. So anyway, it's good to be here. Cool. Thanks for being here. I'll probably ask you a few questions when we get into the project updates and stuff too, because I know you've received some hardware that we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah. Yep. And next up, uh, the music man himself, Brian Schubring from the Chicago area. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty much uh, got the cocoa fever uh, reduced and uh, now I can get into uh, the real life again. <laughs> <laughs> There's such a thing. Uh, yeah, it's called the Cocoa Fest. <laughs> but, you know, doing great. Got uh, Had a little acquisition that I picked up last night. Uh, one of my synthesizer modules was going a little uh, wonky at the fest and wasn't uh, throwing all the channels out. So I picked up a uh, Yamaha MU90R uh, rack mount uh, yesterday and uh, starting to play with it. Cool. And Mr. D. Bruce Moore, the uh, the singer on our intro theme. There we go. Is that Zemphir? <laughs> no, it's yeah, a Tim Wilson. We're definitely at a uh, Renaissance Fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was expecting to see Alan Huffman soon. How are you doing, Bruce? 
Doing good. Doing, doing a little bit of programming. We can talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, I remember seeing some mentions of that in Discord when you're asking questions. Uh, next up, uh, John Strong. And John, I'll just mention, we're not going to get into full details about project updates until a little bit later in the show. So this is just more of a general introduction. But how are you been doing, sir? OK. And uh, Paddle? There it is. Cool. We'll get into some detail on that a little bit later. Mm -hmm. And then just a couple. That's just another trial, not all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. OK. And next up, uh, creator of a famous new YouTube channel, Mr. David Ladd. How are you doing, sir? Hello, everyone. I'm doing fine. And I'm glad to be here. And I can't wait to see where the show goes today. <laughs> I, I know some people can predict that already. It has to do with a dumpster. <laughs> and Steve, I'll save you for last because I'll be uh, passing the baton off to you as soon as we finish the introductions here. So uh, next up is James Diffendaffer. It looks like he actually did get his icon changed because we were discussing that earlier. How are you doing, James? I'm doing well. Done any optimizations lately? Yeah, no, I'm just doing something for somebody else. Nothing to report. Okay. And uh, last but not least, before we pass it off to Steve, is Nick Marentes. How are you doing, good, sir? Good, everyone. Yeah, I'm doing fine, yep. Unfortunately, I don't have a musical instrument to play to uh, to show like uh, Bruce did, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can always whistle. I can, I can only play <laughs> computer. I can't play anything else. <laughs> don't all you guys play the didgeridoo down there? No? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> neither, neither do I. Neither of us from Aussie play didgeridoo here, so... <laughs> <laughs> And now that everybody else in the panel is done, I will pass the baton on to Steve Bjork, who will also tell us how he's been doing lately and what he's up to. Take well, it away, Steve. I, yeah, I've been hanging in these days, but, uh, you know, good old sunny Southern California, we haven't had much of that in the last four or five months. It's uh, the rain's been pretty constant. Actually, it looks like we might be over this thing called a drought that we've been living through for about the last seven to ten years. Which is good because you guys had a ton of really bad forest fires. Yep. And the only thing is, it's going to make the forest fires worse because the water causes the underbrush to grow and then it dries out quickly. So it'll be fun this summer. <laughs> Smoky Southern California. Anyways, um, everybody, welcome to the show. Uh, Stevie is off doing some personal stuff. He might be able to join us a little bit later. So we'll have a good time until then. <laughs> we'll be able to keep the show on topic all kinds of things will happen he's having a life today which i don't think is allowed i don't even know what that is but yeah yeah <laughs> interesting but, uh, but, then. <laughs> but uh yeah it just uh i should introduce myself in the sense that some people might not know me yeah a few people don't know um I uh, developed a lot of programs for the and some hardware for the Cocoa back in the day. Uh, you might have heard a program called Zaxxon or something like that. But uh, anyways, <laughs> um, that's enough about that. Let's actually get into uh, the little acquisition, acquisitions, I should say, and news notes that our panel has. Who's up first? I guess I'll go first. Uh, so I actually uh, received a couple of weeks ago the uh, switcheroo cable and I was waiting for the uh, skirt adapter. And so that arrived this week. So I was able to get the uh, switcheroo connected. Uh, switcheroo is fantastic, well packaged, and it was, I was really pleased with it. And uh, the adapter I got 
was not HDMI, it's a component because this TV behind me is a TV, so it has AV, uh, video component. And the component picture is actually really nice. Um, the adapter I got doesn't handle the switching. That's a problem with the SCART adapter, not the switcheroo. Uh, and I, so uh, I have my Coco wired up with splitters both ways so I can switch between composite for the Pimo 4 games and uh, uh, component for everything else. Uh, so it's, it works well. And uh, as you see, I have Popstar Pilot running behind me. That was another soft, that was a software acquisition. And one of the reasons I wanted 512K, uh, quite literally. And it's a, it's a great game. Nobody asked me how far I've gotten yet. Um, how far did you get? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm testing the first level to make sure that it's solid. So I'm, testing, <laughs> I'm, testing, I'm testing every possible obstacle to make sure the collision detection is working. And so far, so good. You and Stevie. Um, Yep. <laughs> now, I will mention in Nick's defense, though, he's trying to play this with a black beauty joystick. There's no yeah. self-centering or anything else here. That is it's a challenge. Terrible. I've tried it. It's terrible. So I'm going to, I I have both the uh, deluxe joystick and the flight stick I'm going to try. And I'm also contemplating picking up the, um, the uh, Paragon adapter, which allows you to connect a Sega controller, because I actually have an old Sega controller I found. So all I need is the Paragon adapter. So that's probably going to be works great yes i've heard it's really great and um and i had a bit of a i called it a, i called it an obituary earlier which didn't fly so well so i'll call it a deacquisition unfortunately my coco 2 is in a bit of a coma state right now and i'm hoping to revive her but uh right now she's uh she's not doing much so which is okay to be honest when i got the coco 3 i didn't really use the coco 2 as much but uh I still wanted to have it as my old school system. Yeah. Plus, there's some some programs that use semi graphics that won't run on a Coco Three properly. So that's uh, another reason to have a Coco One or Two kicking around. So I may have somebody who can help me fix it, and if I can, I'll, I'll look into that. But uh, was, was it a rather sudden way. thing? Like it was. I didn't touch it for a few days because I was playing with the Coco Three, getting all the 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 uh, SCART adapter not going, and I just turned on the Coco Two just for grins and and what have you, and uh, nothing. And it's I didn't plug, I didn't plug in the joystick with the power on or anything like that because I heard somebody warn against that. So I can, I do not know. I can't imagine what happened, other than aged gave up the gave up the ghost. I don't know. Okay. Could be power maybe, switch. Could be anything. Maybe so. we can get another one of those group calls like we did with you and Nick and me uh, doing your five twelve upgrade and just get some of the hardware gurus on here to maybe give you some stuff that. <laughs> To try that doesn't require soldering and stuff because I know you're in the same boat. Yeah, I was guy. gonna say if you, if I, you put a soldering iron in my hand, you better have the fire department number ready. <laughs> that would be a great show. It would be. I mean, <laughs> I'll do it for the I'll do it for the rating. It, but, it could uh, go. It could go well. It could go disastrously. Either way, it'd be a great show. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have lots of experience with fire departments on this show, so uh, yeah. Thank, <laughs> thanks for checking. Yeah, shut up. Um, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> He resembles that comment. Try this at home edition. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, so I'm not, no, we'll go on. We'll go on to the next person, I think, because I don't want to hear any more about that. <laughs> <laughs> so who's up next after Nick with some uh, acquisitions and updates? Oh, it's all right. I might as well. I'll take a take a okay. shot here. I uh, during the week, um, from all the way from Texas in the USA. Uh, this little package arrived in my uh, Mailbox. It's a uh, 6309, a two megabyte 
um, RAM upgrade, boomerang board, um, and a CPU protector. You can see there, there's the, if I get my finger in the right spot, the CPU, uh, the 6309 on the CPU protector. There's a spare uh, uh, there, a socket for the 6309, and the boomerang board is sitting right uh, <laughs> on the left, right there. Um, so yeah, that's all uh, due to go into my uh, Coco 3, which is sitting behind me uh, here tonight. I was hoping to get that done during this week, but uh, this is a project for uh, for the week coming. Um, I'll have it up on the workbench and take plenty of photos and uh, and maybe a short little video, um, stick it up on my YouTube channel and, and possibly we'll have something there maybe for next week uh, with some you know, uh, step by steps of the upgrade procedure of putting a, uh, a two meg boomerang board in the Coco 3. Cool. I was about to ask how come it wasn't installed yet, but it sounds like you're busy. So, yeah, yeah, I've been playing catch up after last week having that migraine. I, I had a, a few things to catch up on. So, uh, so it, uh, yeah, it looks like this week's the, is the week for that project. Cool. Keep us posted. And yeah, then Rondo, I mean, oh, oh, sorry, good. I was just going to say, I look forward to trying out the uh, ease of use um, Nitrous 9 uh, on it once I've got it in and running. Yep, I, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> I'm a bit biased, but I enjoy it. <laughs> uh, Ron DeVoe, I saw that you had, you had mentioned that you have an update as well. Yes. Um, Brendan uh, got me a uh, uh, Coco VGA for uh, his, my, for my TP, TDP uh, E100, which is, there's a picture of it. But um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, I didn't get a uh, audio cable with it, and he sent me one, no charge, came in yeah. the mail. Sorry about I that, Ron. That was, that okay. was totally my mistake. Well, that's all right. I but, should have given one to you at CocoFest. Uh, I looked at the installation instructions after I installed it and realized, <laughs> just like everybody else does, realized that uh, there was no um, audio cable. So anyway, I got the audio cable. I put it in. It works. I'm happy. Uh, nice machine is just awesome to play with. I've uh, had my uh, SD card set up for a Coco 3. And uh, to tell you the truth, there's a whole lot of stuff for Coco 3. And it, when you play it on the um, Coco 1, you know, it doesn't run. So eventually, I'm going to have to come up, come up with another SD card that just has Coco 1 stuff on it. So I can play. Otherwise, you just burn up a lot of time trying to figure out which games work with uh, three and which work with the, you know, one two. Well, there's your next project, Ron. You can yeah, put that kind together. Of yeah. I'd be uh, I'd be happy to work on you with that, Ron. I'm, I've been I'm in the same boat myself with the Coco three, Coco one, all the stuff on the on the one image. You you you, you, know, you, you spend three quarters of your time. Testing this, testing that. No, it doesn't yeah. run. It doesn't run. It doesn't run. It doesn't run. And then you forget what does and doesn't run. So. Exactly. You do a list, and then you see all these ex exclamation marks, which means <laughs> it's not for you. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the way it goes. Yeah. And then Bruce, I saw. Oh, go ahead, Maron. That's it. Okay, Bruce, I, I saw you mentioned that you have an update as well. Yeah, speaking of boomerangs, um, I'm trying to figure out how to install a boomerang board myself, and I, I can't figure out if I've got the wrong one or where exactly to put it in. Like, how does this? <laughs> <laughs> that, that one goes in the cartridge port. 
<laughs> um, well, I tried that already, and and I don't know. It, just just kept bouncing back. And then you just kind of hang the Coco 2 off. It's like a, a wall hanger yeah. or something. It just kind of hangs yeah. it off the edge there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> send it to Jim Bryan. He'll fix it. Oh, yeah. Okay. My real, uh, my real project update is um, oh. uh, I, I've got working on some. I, I've been working on a project with um, uh, using the uh, C basic three compiler, which compiles basic on a Coco three that combined with um, um, actual uh, some actual assembly routines. And um, I found that um, the compiled basic I was getting I was doing a double buffer thing on P mode four, and I was getting a flicker. And I got some I went on the discord, I got some advice on how to how to make that, you know, that V sync, what's the V sync, the vertical sync on the screen. I, 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 you know, heard about these things, but apparently this V-Sync thing is important. Uh, there's a way to check that and not have it flip the screen until the V-Sync is, I don't know, completed or whatever it's doing. Um, and then that gets rid of the flicker. So uh, I put the appropriate code into the basic compiler and uh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, it doesn't compile down properly. So, um, so I had to write uh, uh, the actual assembly code. And well, by right, I mean um, grab um, a big handful of code from uh, Steve Bjork's lesson 11 on assembly, <laughs> where he sets up the P mode for, and then, um, and then uh, talking with, with, I don't know, four or five people on the, uh, the assembly channel on Discord, and eventually uh, got it to work. So it's flicker free now. And, you know, I mean, I could have done that on my own. So I just really appreciate the community effort and the help and the willingness to help and the resources. Yeah, it's been great. So now I'm got the bug again. I'm working away on it now. <laughs> how are you finding the C basic assembler? Like aside from the the V sync V V blank yeah, stuff. Yeah, well, it's you know it uh, it can you can do a lot of things really quick with it as far as developing goes. Um, if you use, um, if you want to use any of the basic commands, of course they run slow because they're calling the ROM. They'll run a little bit faster because they're using integer math instead of floating points, so they run a little bit faster. But uh, I just discovered just today I realized I needed a special effect that would run at a speed that would be visible, and uh, calling a circle command uh, from the ROM was just the ticket. So. Uh, so yeah, so that so that's just a couple of lines of code. So that went real quick. Okay, you know the code it makes is loaded, you know, but I'm I'm trading speed for that, right? So uh, the speed of development. So it's uh, it seems to be worthwhile if I do some sections pure pure assembly where needed. Because one thing I would like to do, I mean, I, I do plan on doing a basic nine and some OS nine general, you know, tutorial type things later on myself, yeah. uh, you know, when I catch up and everything else. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking that would be a good one because I know <clears throat> some other people have been asking about some of the basic compilers for the Cocoa. And, and since you're actually having firsthand experience of some of the trials and tribulations that you get doing it and, you know, what kind of a speed up you see doing certain things, it wouldn't be a bad idea, I think, to have you do a bit of a tutorial, kind of an intro, maybe some live demos of some, you know, this code does this compared sure. to what in normal basic it would do too. So I think yeah. that'd be very informative. Yeah, it'd be fun. Cool. I got a question for you. But Ron? <clears throat> yeah. Um, you say it's a compiler, so you're putting basic in, and then it is, converts it to machine code. Yep. Does it does it also have um, 
some basic of its own that is different than the basic on the machine? Yeah, it has. Um, some of the some of the commands are have to be tweaked a little bit. So because it's using integer math, if the command uh, if you expect to put in you know one dot one point three, that's not going to work. So they they do some little workarounds for that sort of thing. Um, and it has additional commands that basic wouldn't have, like on IRQ go to yada yada yada. So it's got some of that stuff built in there, which is pretty cool. Which I haven't used that yet, but. Um, yeah, but yeah, this there's extra stuff in there. That's, that's that might have been a solving uh, solution for your vsync problem. It, it might have been. It might have been. But I've you yeah, know I've done it. I've done it bare metal now, right? So I'm good. <laughs> good to go. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Once once you get fully you know done to the current project, that'd be an interesting uh, tutorial to have. I think. Sure. Anybody else in the panel have some updates they want to mention? Sure. I, I, I got one thing when you're ready. Oh, it sounds like a bunch of people. Me here oh, too. Okay. Steve, you want a guide? Who goes first? Uh, how about Mark? <laughs> me. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I have a bunch of things in the fire, but uh, quick update. Oh yeah, we'll talk about that later. Okay. Um, I got some hardware. David Ladd had this uh, recommended this EEPROM program. It's kind of cool. USB programs about fifteen thousand devices. So I got one. Very nice. Very cool. If you have some EEPROMs you need made, I can do that. Also, if you need old EEPROMs, I have an old EEPROM programmer. <laughs> so anyway, just in case. That's it. Okay, so why don't we go to Jason? Okay, it, this is pretty brief. Uh, just uh, made some updates and some changes uh, at my on my blog at uh, cocoman.org. <laughs> And our first Coco Cat. Uh, I didn't bring the cat with me, so. Or is that the one you just ran over? <laughs> and, it, it, and as far as uh, Nick Morota and his experience with the switcheroo and the issue with the switch, um, you know, we've been we've been conversing back and forth, and uh, the best I can determine it has to do with that the uh, converter that he has is not reading i believe it's pin 19 whatever pin that is that tells the converter to switch to you know to switch to rgb or composite because normally that pin needs to see a volt uh, between one and three volts on it to switch the converter to rgb otherwise it stays in composite and what i had nick do was just unplug the usb uh entirely and it still stayed in rgb mode so the best i can come up with that's just uh, that's just an issue with that converter and that converter just may not convert composite I'm, I'm not all that familiar. I'm not familiar with that converter. Yeah. Now, this is getting into a little bit of a discussion. I'll just sidetrack it just a tiny bit because we're on the subject. Um, there's been some mention on Facebook too that people are, are wondering what converters to get. And I know the original recommended one has been, I, I guess, not even manufactured anymore, if I'm understanding correctly. And I know you guys have mentioned, you and Mark and a few others have mentioned, there are other ones that you guys know to work, but they keep going out of stock, but then they come back in stock. So I think that's okay. That means it's still being made, right? Or are these just like old yeah. stock? Let me let me add my five cents worth here. Um, I just did a search before we started here, and uh, I found uh, three of them listed on Amazon that are you know HDMI SCART. One of them says specifically in the description handles both RGB and composite. So that's what you need to look for is in the verbiage. Does it say it handles composite? Okay. Because so do we have a, a recommended list of ones that people can know are going to work and are still actively being manufactured? That's the problem is that you can only go by what they say and then buy one and try it. <laughs> so. 
your best best. Yeah, but you search. guys have you guys obviously have tried some that worked, some have not. Mm -hmm. Are yeah. do we have a list made up somewhere of, or could we make they, one that they, they keep changing all the time? But yeah, I guess we could log, you know, places that have one and then just you know have yeah, when you say changing, does that mean you get the exact same model from the exact same manufacturer and it works sometimes, sometimes it doesn't, or what do you mean? Uh, I've only gotten one so far that actually the composite works, but that's because I specifically looked for that verbiage and when I got it, it actually worked. Uh, I don't know about other people. Um, as far as, uh, the thing is, is they keep, you know, they'll have a bunch and then they're out of stock and then, you know, you go look and find another seller that has some stock. So it's kind of really hit and miss. You just See, I ordered one that was HDMI and it was supposed to be in stock, but then they wrote me and said, oh, it went out of stock. Uh, your order's on back order, and we'll give we'll knock five percent off the price. Like, okay, so I've got an HDMI one in uh, Ethernet somewhere. Yeah. Okay. The trouble is, a lot of these converters are don't really have a brand name on them. No, right? All generic. So, yeah, they're they're fairly generic. They're all generic, yeah. Okay, Jason, you were about to say something. Uh, yeah, they are fairly. Yeah, yeah, they're very fairly generic. There's quite a few out there. I mean, I did post a link. On the on the site where you get the switcheroo, CocoMan.biz, that there's in the in the uh, I believe it's in the FAQ that there is a link to an article about the, what kind of SCART converters not to buy because the really inexpensive ones like sub twenty dollars no, most likely do not do RGB and that's that's what I I've seen where someone will buy a converter and it won't do RGB it'll just get stuck in composite mode so. And it's not feasible for me to buy every converter that's out there and, and check it. But I always recommend finding one that does RGB and will do composite, and just you know get it some from somewhere with a uh, with a really, with a good return policy that uh, you can send it back if it doesn't work or doesn't do what you need it to do. But I've seen a couple. There's a there's quite a few out there, and they all look. There's a few that look alike, and those seem to work okay. But um, yeah, so yeah, I, I probably do need to go out there and find some more. That's why I'm I'm a little hesitant to recommend uh, ones that I haven't tried myself or I haven't had someone try uh, elsewise because I don't want someone to buy the wrong thing and then, well, you told me to buy this one. So, uh, but it, it, I mean, as long as if you stand around about the thirty, I wouldn't go much below thirty dollars US. Yeah, and these I, seem to be and this seems to be okay. I I found one today on Amazon. It's thirty one. Thirty-one seventy-five, and they have a bunch in stock. Now, if you if, if you if you my get one that says composite and RGB, is it guaranteed to work, or is that even still a crapshoot? Uh, the ones I've gotten all say they have support composite worked. So, yeah, uh, most of the time they either do just composite or they do composite and RGB. As far as the ones that go from SCART to HDMI, uh, the the the. the the, the issue that uh, uh, Nick Morota has is uh, is quite unique. Usually, usually the issue is that the converter box is not to RGB and it's stuck in composite. Um, so you know, when, I, when I was speaking with him about that, uh, that was, well, that's the exact uh, exact opposite issue that I normally see. So Yeah, I'd rather have the issue I have because then there's a workaround for it. Yeah. Like I, Absolutely. And the problem okay. I had is I ordered mine from Amazon Canada, not Amazon come so the one in canada definitely says currently unavailable so that's, there was one on amazon.ca at one point that i i had gotten really good feedback about from folks in canada i think that's the one i ordered. I haven't uh, it's a tnp I mean, one that it's like, a tnp one that uh 
That's I, I think what would be nice to do then is make a list that has ones that has been tested. As you said, you don't want to recommend stuff you and, and and other people you know have not tried. But if there's a list of like four or five that were guaranteed to work and they, there's some way to identify the brand or whatever, or if there's multiple models, which specific models to get, just so that people know, even if they're out of stock, at least they'll know they'll work. And if they have to wait, they have to wait. But they know it's going to be a crapshoot if they try to order something that's not on the list. Well, the yeah, other thing too is in addition, the brand names not on them. Yeah, that that's the thing. You you're you, the stuff is going to change because of the type of manufacturer it is. But uh, what we should do is not only make a list of what we know that works or should work, but we should make a list of like the verbiage that you want to look for. Yeah. Yes. The ones exactly. that are known not to work. Right. And so I'd uh, say mine is a yellow. Like it kind of works. Like if, if if there's a workaround for it, so it works the way you want it to. Just to go to composite, you've got to do a workaround for it. Yeah. But it does work for component, which is probably a lim more limited uh, use uh, than HDMI. But still, look at Nick's face. It's I know it's so <laughs> green. You must be getting sick. Yeah. <laughs> or he's hulking out. One of the two. Oh, my <laughs> wallpaper is a Coco uh, game, and it's uh, all green. Yeah. Uh, maybe you should slow. change your wallpaper during the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you look ill. Look like the Grinch. There we go. Yeah. But I mean, earlier he was doing a bit of the Thor movie because he was in a Dutch angle. He was still <laughs> <laughs> Batman. Kapow. And as far as scar converters go, I'm always I'm always looking for feedback from the, the folks that have them out in the field. Which which one do you have? How does it work for you? I mean. Where did you get it? Where's the link for it? Anybody is always welcome to send that to me. I always I always appreciate when people let me know what they've found and what works for them. Yeah, and you should be the conduit for this master list because I mean you're the one who makes and sells it, obviously. So it helps you sell if you can say, you know, these five work, whatever one you can find in stock, go for it. And just right. avoid the word guarantee this will work. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it should. Well, well, like, I'm gonna call it will likely work. Yes. There yeah, because you never know when the supplier is going to change, you know, where they get their stuff from. It may look the same. But... This stuff's coming from overseas, and you know, it's hard to say when they, there could be a box that looks just like the one that I have that works, and it doesn't work. So it's just, it, it can be quite a crapshoot, absolutely. I, I want to ask you a question, too, because it sounds like a lot of these are generics. That's why you're having issues trying to figure out what they, exactly they are. But yes. are there any name brand ones that are reasonably priced that you can get that kind of guaranteed stay the same level of quality? Or is it a huge jump in price, really like 100 bucks or something? I think the ones that I've seen that have any kind of name on them are like in the $200 range. And then I think oh. a lot of those ones don't. Then the, I think once you get into that range, you're getting into a specialty product and you're not you're not going to. A lot of those don't do composite. They only use the composite for the video sync and won't actually uh, convert composite video to do, for in this case, to do the P, P mode for artifact color. So that's that's the other side of that coin. Okay. The main th main thing here is we're not looking at a mass market item. Yeah. Right. Discard's uh, not really a big thing in North America, right? No. No, it's more of a European. Never thing. was. <laughs> Not a big thing in Australia either. Most people don't even know what a SCART connector is in Australia. That'd be the same up here, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, was, it, was, it was mandated by the French. Uh, so France used it and, and, made it and made it a law. And then uh, so in turn, the rest of Europe went with it. I leave it to the French to come up with something with an expensive connector on it. Like Seacam? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, I, 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 I know that's kind of segued off just doing project updates, but I, I know a lot of people were asking on Facebook about it, so I wanted to kind of bring it up and see if there was a solution to it. Anybody else with any project updates that they wanted to get into a bit of detail on? I'm, I've got a, a minor one. Go ahead, Brent. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Nick Morenti's, you know, posted on Facebook that he had a, uh, a Cocoa 3 palette setting solution for, um, you know, to, so that you could set up your uh, improved uh, PMO3 or, you know, uh, CG6 colors before you ran your, <clears throat> ran your uh, disc game or whatever. <clears throat> so uh, Fedor uh, has taken that and, uh, and run with it. And he and I have collaborated a little bit on it, and it's mostly been him. Um, but we have that mostly working. Um, we have the uh, the uh, you know the basically there's a, a piece of code that I wrote a long time ago in um, CCC CCVConf that lets you it has sliders that lets you pick your palette colors and things like that. So um, we've integrated that in. You can pick your palette colors and then save them out, and then uh, launch games just just like from um, Nick's uh, original menu for the Coco Three. So the only uh, the only caveat there that that we're kind of fighting right now is um, that there are some games that um, it seems like when we try to launch them they crash immediately or whatever. So I assume that there's something related to um, you know the loader that that we need to fix or something about Basic that we need to um, modify before um, you know before trying to exec the the uh, yeah. I, I know Nick had hit that on a couple of games too, because basically what happens is that the machine language game is loading over top where basic storing a program right now. So it's overwriting right. itself as soon as you load it. So I think he did one where he actually physically shifted it and then wrote a little ML routine he tagged on to remove it back down to where it's supposed to be running. I see. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the idea then would be to load it in a higher location in memory and then move it and back then down. Move and move it down. Yep. Okay. You can do a load M uh, with an offset, comma, ampersand, H, whatever offset you want to shift it I up see. out of memory. And then you okay. just write a little ML routine that just block copies it back down after your Cocoa VJ stuff and menu stuff's done. Okay. So anyway, you know, the ones that don't need a relocation, you know, just just work. Um, and Fedor has already picked out a bunch of, you know, reasonably pretty good colors uh, for that. So anyway, that's that's probably the only project update that that I have since uh, since Cocoa Fest. Is there a place to get this uh, his version of the loader for Coco BJ? Not yet. I mean, I assumed that we wanted to try to clean up the the ones that were broken or remove those games from the menu um, first before we made it available. Um, okay. But you know, I could my arm could be twisted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know Nick likes to remove games that he just doesn't like. So uh, yeah, <laughs> we've, we've had lots of battles over that. So. <laughs> Basically, he's like game. Stevie. If if he plays a game and he doesn't do well in the first ten seconds, he just deletes it off the menu and onto the next one. So. <laughs> <laughs> Only on games I can actually get past level one. <laughs> <laughs> Any other updates from anybody else on the panel? Like that topic anymore? Um. Well, if there's no one else, yes. Is John. <laughs> yeah. Did John have some up? updates? John Strong, you mean? Or yeah, yeah. Did I miss that? Well, let's go ahead and do David, and then we'll do uh, John. Yeah. All right. Well, my update goes along with Mark. Um, so um, the mouse adapter is coming along. Um, so far, we've got the different mouse things working. Um, trying to get the design of the board working better for 
uh, case design. So Paul is tinkering with that. And uh, also I acquired a USB host shield for the Arduino Uno and I've been playing with that. So um, that way in the future might also be an option <clears throat> as well, but. Basically USB mouse support. At yeah. some point. But uh, as far as acquisitions, um, Brendan was doing a demo at CocoFest with a BBC uh, micro bit and uh, he had it hooked to the Coco. So I um, had one on order for a while and it finally showed up. And so I'm going to try doing some Coco stuff with it. Um, so that's another little nifty acquisition I've got along with the same EEPROM programmer that Mark showed earlier. I also got one of those and uh, was uh, using that. And the nice thing about that EEPROM programmer for those that like use the Raspberry Pi for like the Cocoa Pie stuff, um, there are Linux tools that you can compile that that particular EEPROM programmer will work on the Raspberry Pi. <laughs> Actually, one thing I wanted to mention about the EEPROM programmer, because I know Mark had tested this out here. Um, like if you get a, a, a Cocoa one or two on eBay and it's only got color basic and no extended basic. Well, without extended, you can never add a disk drive because disk basic requires extended basic as well. And of course, buying separate extended basic chips is pretty well impossible. But uh, Mark did a test where he actually burned a copy of extended basic and installed in one of his Cocoa twos, I believe it was that only Cocoa basic or Cocoa Coco one. one. Yep. And it actually works perfectly fine. So that could be mm -hmm. a service that some of these people that have these programs can mm -hmm. offer for those getting, you might be able to get a really cheap 16K or 32K with just standard basic Cocoa on eBay. And then you can actually get it upgraded. So you can add the Cocoa SDC and everything else afterwards by getting the well, base Chrome. Well, one of the things <laughs> that I want to cover is like the model that Mark got was the $118, $120 version, which comes with a crap load of adapters. If you just want the EEPROM programmer for doing, you know, the standard DIP uh, EEPROMs or EEPROMs, um, you know, that's like $47. So if you just want to go that route for your Windows machine um, or Linux box, you know, you have an option for getting this cheaper unit and, uh, you know, you can burn your own EEPROMs to your heart's content. It may be something useful for folks that want to not only put a extended color basic in their machine, but also they want to have one of the optional disk basic uh, ones out there. Right, or customize yeah. their ROMs. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I mean, like all the enhanced mm -hmm. DOSs, we've got HDB DOS, YA DOS, enhanced exactly. ADOS yep. 3, regular ADOS 3, you know, all kinds of things. So, and I mean, make your own and from a legal market. standpoint, that gets a bit sketchy because it's Microsoft copyright owns, but they don't sell them and you can't get them anywhere. So I don't, I don't think they do anything about it. Right. Okay. Is that, uh, I think everything? John Strong. Oh, John. I think yes. Yes. Yeah. John was next. Yeah. I make your own, uh, game cartridge. Can yeah. you guys hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so, um, Steve suggested last week about a paddle and I got, well, I actually have the arcade buttons. I mentioned I might design that. So 
I went ahead and did some playing with the CAD program. So this was the analog joystick. And I don't have the potentiometer in here. And this is actually, that was retargeted for that. So it could be do that. That could be a possibility. And I went another step and went to this. And so I just got that printed last night. So it's not wired up yet. And uh, so, yeah, it's definitely doable. A couple yep. gotchas is, uh, and theoretically it should be, since you're only doing one axis, you know, for existing games, uh, I might be able to tie both of those to the together. So you could do either joystick zero or one, it still reads the same. Theoretically, you should be able to do that. I just haven't tried it yet. Right. So I'd probably wire them internally that way. Give it a try probably sometime this weekend. And then we can make that four-player Warlords game, right? Right. And then just use a cable, okay, a white cable type thing. And uh, then it would select which one you're plugged into, which axis it's going to read for you. Right. Is that a uh, continuous controller? Um or is it a, a potentiometer with a with a start and stop? It's a potentiometer. Okay. And does it have a start and okay. stop, or is it one you can continuously spin? Yeah. Well, again, Curtis, I didn't catch all. I'm just wondering, is it like I think what uh, he was asking was, does the potentiometer just keep spinning forever in one direction, or is it one of the ones that stops after you no, hit it's a certain? No, stop period? and back. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, there's some ways to do a continuous you know, spin and stuff, but this is the very simple low cost solution for the parts you, you, and such. Usually for a continuous spin, instead of using a potentiometer, they use a um, a wheel that's got patterns on it. Yeah, optical, optical encoder. Yeah, optical, optical yeah. encoder. Exactly. Yes. And so, uh, yeah, there's ways to do that. And it's generally, like he said, it's done that way uh, instead of the potentiometer. And so, uh, in the process of tweaking it and hopefully get it wired up this weekend mm -hmm. and test it out, make sure the what works in theory works with both of those. And then I'll look at making the uh, cable for it and let you know from there. But uh, yeah, Steve, your prodding got me to spend some time on it. <laughs> well, now after that product comes out, the hard part to play Warlords on the Coco is going to be finding three friends. <laughs> so john, I, I was hard pressed to do with war kings that only requires one friend so john do you uh, already have a game slated to use these paddles or are you you know hoping to play what is what is it bust out and, and stuff like that or what's the uh, target well the program that actually got me looking at that is the one that steve york's been mentioning and but if he's going to do it, I'm going to refer to him. He'll do a better job than I would. So, okay. These right. controllers already work well for things like uh, Arkanoid, yes, uh, clowns and balloons, popcorn. So there are games that already exist. So sure. Yeah. And, and uh, the main I one think... we're been talking about is Warlords, which is an Atari arcade game. And if you've seen War Kings or Castle Guard on the Coco, those are two-player versions of those. But the yes. arcade game actually had four, where you had the four castles in the four corners of the screen, and one person controlled the paddle that goes around the castle for each, and then it's kind of a bust-out game from that. 
using this technique, you'd be able to actually make a full four player game because you get your X and Y axes are two different players because it's basically just player one uses the X paddle and player two uses the Y paddle and then onto the other joystick for players three and four. So I think that's kind of the target. Yeah, that's that's exactly how the Atari 2600 version did it as well. I, I love that game. I'd love to see it on the Coco. And, you know, it, uh, like I said, I, I will defer to the the one who has the better experience in doing it, but it was what I had planned to do. I'd actually had considering putting uh, for the uh, the TI sound chips on a cartridge and then have, you know, quad sound with it. So you could, if you wanted to do it as a tabletop type thing, then you could set speakers up to do that. But uh, uh, it's one of the things you think about uh with low priority because one to do anything i needed these these have to get going in the background till somebody gave me the nudge so uh with those a question too um with the single paddle version of it um being on one axis or another axis i'd imagine probably put a switch on there or something to switch which axis you're choosing uh, would be a fairly straightforward um wiring task um, I just wonder, because it's one plug that goes into the back of each joystick port, would you have it so that you could have two paddles plugged into, or like two paddles going into one plug going into the back, or how would you do that? That's, well, the basic idea is you can have a kind of a Y-type cable. It's not a true Y, it'd be a splitter because it would take one axis to one, one paddle and another axis to the other paddle. Okay. Yep. 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 And so you can you can plug what I'm planning to do is wire this so you can plug it straight into the Coco as a single one and play your Acronoid or a Pong game. I have a Pong game that you know I'll probably post to make available to play with it. So if somebody buy that, they have something to start with that they don't have already in their their thing. It's just very simple. I wrote for the 4K contest. Nothing special, but it does. Mm-hmm. You can still use this. And then if you have two of these, you could have adapter that you can plug them. Now we two, you can plug it into both ports. Uh, if you want to play four, you use adapter. And then that would split it to which paddle it's going to go to and set it up from there. Yeah. So, and not having the switch, in other words, having the single paddle output going to both joystick inputs actually makes it easier for him to manufacture the product too. You don't have to worry yep, about the switch yep, and yep. the wiring. Well, yeah, that this, makes sense. Mm-hmm. this is what, why I moved from this one to the other, okay, was because of the switch and so on. I may still do something. There's some advantage of that. You can switch the buttons around, but it also switched mm-hmm. the orientation on this. And I think I, I figured out a way to do that. I may do a slot and just instead of a round thumb thing. But yeah, it does make it a lot simpler. You don't have to wire that crossover switch. It's wired together, and uh, so that was the kind of idea. Is what what am I going to do? Spend time to do and, and do. Okay, this was easier than quick. I had already this is the first one I did. I did this, tried out how it fit. Okay, if I'm going to switch things around, you know, axes or different things like that, what I'm going to do? What happens with it? And it's like, well, that's a little bit of pain, so I redid this. Yeah. So it's in a oh. process of. You get the feel of it. This kind of makes sense. Uh, doesn't mean that I won't make some of these sometime along, but this is the, the one I'm aiming to get because it's a lot simpler. 
it, it, you simply wire it up straight to wires, no PC board, no extra switch required. So if you just play an Akronoid or a Pong or something like that, you plug it in and go. Yeah. And to be backwards players, compatible, any any of the, the paddle style games we have, like Popcorn and, and Arkanoid, et cetera, they'll be, if we're going to do two players, they'd be using the X-axis on the two separate joystick ports anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, see, there are some games out there that use the Y-axis, like a paddle. Yeah. So yes. having him wire it up to both the X and Y input makes it work with any game. That was the idea, you know. I, I thought, well, do we do switch it? And then it's like, well, yeah, theoretically, it should wire the, exactly like that. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, you've got a, a like a dual axis. Oh, sorry, a, a, a dual axis. A, um, a, a, a dual pot, basically, yeah, one yeah. wire to each axis, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It looks yeah. like two to the software, but it's one. Yeah. And so uh, that makes it, they could use it either way. So it makes a nice little solution. And it's like giving a Coco, to me, my idea was, okay, we're going to give Coco one two a little bit of love here. Because <laughs> most of the stuff I design, you know, I'm, I'm focusing on the Coco three. And, you know, with this, you know, hey, it's going to be Coco one two. That's what a lot of people have and the games there. And so it's there. And like I said, that's the prototype. Uh, you know, my wife says, oh, that's cute. <laughs> so it's wife approved. <laughs> right. That's well, good. This all, is right. all fits into the modern day Coco, the, our theme. Well, hang on. Okay. Uh, do we have any other uh, news updates or acquisitions and that type of stuff for our panel? I might have one more update thing. Um, my brother-in-law, Mark Wittick, was able to uh, purchase uh, Coco 2 and 1 for like 100 bucks from his brother. And, uh, and he lives in Toledo also. But... Um, He's all excited. He's getting a switcheroo. He's uh, getting back into it. He's been out of it for like 20 years. And um, so I've, I've inspired someone to get back in it. So, and I think uh, he'll be joining the show too in the future. So is he already it. on the Facebook group, Ron? Or? Uh, I think he's in the, uh, well, he posted in the show us your cocoa and he's just getting started. So Okay. It'll yeah, I encourage him to join Discord and everything else too, so that he can yeah, I give him ask questions, etc. Yep. Cool. Okay. Well, it let's is. see. We've been on for almost an hour, just getting through this part. Boy, <laughs> talk about things that you think are going to run ten minutes and go a lot longer. Uh, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a quick break and we come back? We're going to go into our main discussion about the modern day cocoa. And you'll be surprised what that means. So let's go ahead and take a break and we'll be right back. You are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original colored computer, the Coco 3, and the world renowned exclusive French Canadian. Got your Coco 3 yet? Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Rom and Shanghai, and you've tuned into Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. 
What's going on, everybody? Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, then you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. There you will find custom designs by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. You can get Ama Coconut, Coco Talk, and other cool video game images on a t-shirt, coffee mug, or mouse pack. So if you love retro, then head on over to the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com today. Tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Radio Shack TRS-80 put the world of color computing into your home. Instant loading program packs turn any color TV into an exciting game arcade. And there's more. The color computer is an educational aid, a home management tool, and up-to-the-minute electronic information service. The programmable, expandable TRS-80 color computer from $399 only at Radio Shack, the biggest name in little computers. We now return you to Coco Talk. Well, and welcome back. back, everybody. And uh, today's subject for discussion like that is we've gone through a world of changes since the Coco has come out. Literally, uh, computers have gotten faster. We can do more things with them. We can get more annoyed at them. Uh, but Basically, there's a lot of improvements. We've gone from cassette tapes to floppy disks to hard drives to SD cards to uh, online storage. I mean, it just uh, it keep, ever keeps changing the computer world. But we also like playing with our Cocos. Our Cocos are simple, easy to use, but sometimes looking at the Coco in the modern light, there might be something that you wish you could bring to the Coco. And some of this stuff has already happened. A good example is the SDC. No longer do you have to use old-fashioned floppies that were not 100% reliable. Instead, we can use these little micro SD or little SD cards that are slightly more reliable. Please mm -hmm. make backups of your SD cards regularly. <laughs> Anyways, um, want to bring to the panel uh, this discussion. Is there anything that you uh, have added to the cocoa or like to see added to the cocoa that would make the cocoa's life a little bit more fun? And no web browsers. <laughs> no web browsers? <laughs> you could do that so much better on your PC than you could do on the cocoa. Trust me, if you had to wait for a web page to load on a browser, a modern web page, you'll do it just once. And that'll be the end of it. <laughs> Load one GIF file in 64K. Now, I'm, I'm going to put one person on the spot. I'm going to have him talk first, and that's David Ladd. Oh, is he back yet? He he took a break here a little bit ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess he's not back. Oh, I think his sorry, my microphone was muted. There yes, we go. I'm oh. here. How can I help you, Steve? Well, we're putting you on the spot. What technology that's in the modern day do you think that would be helpful for your cocoa? What you've already added or something that you kind of would like? Sloppy drives. Oh, <clears throat> well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see here. Um, one of the things I wanted was a better mouse. And of course, what did I do? Nobody else wanted to do a mouse. No one brought a mouse to the Coco. So what did I do? 
I said, no one else is doing it, so I'm doing it myself. I brought the PS2 mouse to the Coco. Awesome. And so you brought the mouse to the Coco, and you've hooked it up, and you've moved your mouse, and the cursor doesn't move on the screen. How do you get it to move on the screen? Well, for me, I'm using a microcontroller. Mm -hmm. A microcontroller, which, strangely enough, the microcontrollers were even available back in the day. So, and the PS2 mice came out in 87 with the first PS2 machine. So it's like, why weren't we using these things back then? We had DACs, we had microcontrollers. So why didn't someone do it back then to bring us the first optical mice when they came out in the early 90s? Why? Awesome. Well, okay, cost, but that doesn't stop people. Oh, Help. it stopped. I'm going to interrupt you right there. It stopped Tandy. <laughs> the first interface I designed for him before the high-res joystick interface was to convert the optical mouse to work on the Coco as a cartridge that plugged in. They estimated that my design, and I thought it was really ingenious what I had come up with, was going to be $100 retail. And then they had me go back and, and come up with something that could be made a lot cheaper. So I came up with the high-res joystick interface, which cost them $2.50 to manufacture so they could sell it for a whopping $9.95. Well, that is true. Um, price for a lot of people can be a motivator. Um, but then there's also convenience. It's sometimes... Um, I'll tell you, the ball mice, I just want to take the scissors and snip that ball out and throw it away. Because it's like, it, it, you have to clean it all the time. You have to get in there and clean the little rollers. It's like, no, no, get away from that. I want optical. And it's yep. like a lot of people, it's like, it's, it's like after you use modern well, even back then, a more modern mouse that was optical back when I had my 386, it's like, no, no, I want I want this on the Coco, but it's like, back then I didn't know how to do it. And then it's like, finally, it was like, I'm like, I'm going to try out one of these Arduinos. So I did the breadboard Arduino, threw it together, and then I threw parts together. And then it's like, I asked Jim, I asked other people, so what other things can I do to get this to connect to the Coco? And of course, Jim was nice and goes, well, there's this SPI dual deck. It was cheap. I was like, fine. So I threw that in there, wired it up. And I'm like, oh, wow, this works. And, and the PS2 protocol is easy. They got uh, libraries out there like crazy. So it was like, I threw everything together did a, a test and then it was like it worked i was like i was excited so then it was like then it was had to put yep there we go there's one of my first first prototypes mark's got on the the screen that was using the the dac and it was like oh i was going going crazy but then the the design was um you know well had to keep changing had to keep evolving um and still, I'm not quite happy with the design. Um, but then there's, a, with with the current design, which I'm sure Mark has one of the, the 
the boards up there, which can't see. There we go. Not totally assembled yet. Don't have all the parts. But but that particular board is using a Arduino Nano, which would plug into a header right where those two rows of pins are. And then it was like, well, the Arduino Micro is just a little bit longer, but there's a feature it gives, which I then wanted to take advantage of, is that the Arduino Micro can be seen as a keyboard, a mouse, or a joystick on the PC. Well, then I'm like, well, I wonder if I can take the input because I've got on that design where you can pass the Coco joystick through to the Coco. Well, I'm like, well, instead of passing that through to the Coco, can I read the Coco joystick through the Arduino and send it to the PC? And it's like, yes. And then it's like, I can do it at the same time. So you can have the same joystick being used on the Coco and the PC at the same time. I, I just wish go, David was more enthusiastic about it. Yeah, I was just going to comment about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you've got to be enthusiastic about this stuff because it's like there's so many yeah. things that you can do. What? <laughs> Show a little more excitement, will you? <laughs> I am trying. I'm trying. It's, <laughs> It's, oh, I'm so glad I started with you first. <laughs> it's, you, you, you know, there's just so much technology out there. This? Yeah, I, I don't know because there's just so much technology out there that you can take advantage of to bring things. Like like uh, uh, Brendan's um, example when he was using the, the micro bit from the BBC at the Coco Fest. I have so many things going through my brain for that thing. It's like... Um, because the stuff he was showing, I want to use the, oh, yeah, the other thing I want to discuss, the uh, ESP module to serial adapter, right there, that uh, Mark is showing, that thing. This is so, an early proto. Yep, that's an early proto. So the ESP, I want to now use that, with that adapter, I want to put another ESP on, connected to the micro bit. And what get rid of the do? cable. Well, let's see here. The ESP01 module that's on that board is a Wi-Fi to serial adapter. And depending on the firmware that you use on there, it can do all kinds of different things. Now, in my use on the Coco, that's what gives me my wireless drive wire support on the Bitbanger. And I love it. But with Brendan's examples that he was doing, I'm like, well, can I take the two ESPs, combine them together and get rid of that cable? And I, you know, it's perfectly feasible. So Brendan's project with the ESPs, now there's no cable between the cocoa. And I'm like, Ooh, so much fun, so much fun. I mean, you don't like wires strung all around your room? <laughs> well, with, with all the serial stuff and all my Cocos, come on, all those RS-232 cables, 25, 50 feet across the room, no. multi-pack. And pretty soon you got something that looks like a spider web, right? Um, I, I already do. It's called yep. the Ethernet cables. But 
Oh, yes. There's so much technology we can upgrade the cocoa with. Yes. Yes. I have a comment on this whole thing. This almost sounds like an episode of uh, Young Frankenstein. <laughs> Igor. Where's Igor? <laughs> As I was commenting earlier, I want to record um, David saying a few things from my Halloween haunt. Well, you just yeah, got a whole the bunch thing, there. It's, uh, yeah, but this, yeah, but see, this is the excitement <laughs> stuff. I'm not even doing the creepy stuff. I'm just excited. Coco stuff meets technology from all branches of the whole universe. Yes! Okay, now, David, oh, could you oh, oh. that again one more time with, with more feeling this time? Cats and future colliding, cats and dogs living together. Massive. I'm just going to ask you one question. David, what have you been buffing your head with? It's been someone spiking your turtle wax. I was no, but they've been spiking his Dr. Pepper. Right now must be cocaine or something. He's so enthusiastic. Well, the... Well, it's just, oh, it's just, man, where, where can you start? Where can you stop? And it's, you just got to pick a place, do a search on Google and just look at the stuff that there's just so many things that you can do with these little microcontrollers, the Wi-Fi modules and the new things like the Raspberry Pis that were developed to help get kids into the whole programming and and electronics and now these micro bits from the BBC and so many of these cool things that we can use on the cocoa. You know, it's like, man. Okay, I better okay. stop before I just Moving I just on. blow my top. Uh, <laughs> it's it's gonna be kind of hard to top that top that. Nerd nerdgasm is what that was just called. Oh yes. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I think we can all agree that probably one of the best advancements that's come out for the cocoa, especially because if it sells, has been the SDC. You know, that Absolutely. little. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's just, a must have. Yeah. Must have device. Yes, definitely. Yeah. It, for those folks that are not familiar with the SDC, it is a floppy disk. Yeah. Yep. It's a floppy disk emulator that uses an SD card for the media. So you don't have to have big floppy drives hanging out. You just plug this little cartridge in. And the beauty of this little guy is it not only just stores the stuff on the SDC, it completely emulates the floppy disk controller that was in the floppy disk controller card that Coco had. So virtually any software that worked with the disk, floppy disk, will work with this device. It also emulates hard disk too. Yep. I've got a, there's the one there, I've got it behind there, there's another one, I've got two of them here. There's one running in the Coco 3 behind me. This one here, I run on my uh, my original Coco 1. Oh, I've got three Coco 1s here, so, and uh, the other must have is is uh, the Mega Mini MPI from uh, and the uh, Coco VGA. Um, yeah, a couple of things in the modern technology that's allowed this stuff to go, besides the fact that electronics has gotten better, you know, can do more stuff, is the fact of 3D printing. The case 
for the STC yep. and the case for the mul uh, mini multi-pack are all printed with modern 3D printers. If you can see there, they're actually they're actually really really well made. Bread and bread, <laughs> Ed and Brendan have done a fantastic job on mm -hmm. on the uh, on uh, all of these. Fit, uh, fit and finish. Yep. Sorry. Fit and finish. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And John Strong's been uh, printing up a lot of cases for folks, especially with his new joysticks and like that, and the paddle. So all this stuff is coming down the line as having great um, products. It's where modern is helping with the cocoa. Who does the case for the SDC? Is that uh, Ed? Ed does, yeah. Yes, yeah. Ed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's also um, the move back too. In the day, uh, back in the day, uh, the company I had, we looked into having something made in plastic and it was $10,000 just for the mold. And that was a cheap mold, not a one of the better ones. So, oh wow, three D print huge barrier to entry. Yeah, huge barrier to entry. Three D printing has really lowered that. Yeah, for for my my, my oh, go ahead. So yeah, I was just going to say one of the things I've been meaning to get into is is three uh, D printing. I um, I've seen others talking about it, and the first experience I've actually had with with, with actually even seeing a product that's been three D printed. Um, was the uh, the SDC and the, the Mega Mini MPI, and I'm actually really impressed by just how solid these things are. They're not. You know, I got this sort of impression early on in the early days of 3D printing that, yeah, maybe it's good for just little test things that are brittle and break easily and everything. But no, this this stuff's really solid, just as good as any commercial. Um, you know, as far as solidness is concerned, just as good as anything yeah. you buy off the shelf. I have one of John Strong's cases uh, for the uh, Coco SDC, and it's like. Wow, this is like a—it's kind of shiny, but it's like it's like a molded plastic box. <laughs> Very yeah. impressive. Yeah, John does good work. And now Ed, um, with his uh, <laughs> speaking of modern day products for uh, for our cocos, um, on the Facebook group, Ed's been posting up photos. Everybody's probably seen them of his. Uh, his big 3D printer, and he started production of the um, of the of the uh, Coco 3 keyboards. So he's printing like literally an entire um, keyboard with the, the the chassis and everything, not mounting the switches to it. And um, so I've got a couple of those on my radar. Um, one of my projects I'm working on at the moment that I've been talking about over the last uh, few weeks is the uh, the modular synthesizer control project, interfacing that with my uh, Coco One and Coco Three, and uh, an integral part of that is now going to become one of Ed's keyboards, modern keyboards, because the switch contacts are literally accessible on the bottom of the uh, of the keyboard itself, which means I can hardwire physical sockets to these keys and actually use the keyboard input um, via interfaces from my. Uh, modular synthesizer and, and use the synthesizer then to, to, to trigger inputs using in-key you know, commands or using assembly language routines or whatever to, to, uh, to literally detect when, when uh, certain inputs are pressed via the keyboard. So that's a pretty exciting update for me. So I've got the, uh, <laughs> the chiclet keyboard in my Coco 3 at the moment because it's the only one I had. So uh, having the Coco proper decent switch key Coco 3 keyboard plus having the ability to use that uh, with some of my own tweaks 
uh, for hardware inputs is, is pretty exciting stuff. Well, that's the other thing too, is that um, on the Coco, those first keyboards were really terrible on the Coco one, the Chiclet keyboards. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I was programming I, on those I had to take that thing out. Yeah, I had to take mine apart and clean it. I don't know how many times. Well, I was going to say at least crumbs didn't get between the keys, but mm -hmm. I guess it. Uh, and, and then of course, bad. you know, later keyboards, you know, especially in the case of the Coco <laughs> Three, it was a much better keyboard. We also have had aftermarket keyboards to uh, help save our fingers and. Ed's working on a new one right now for the Coco. That's pretty good. And then uh, people like uh, uh, doing a uh, IBM oh, AT AT. Well, I was say, at least yeah. didn't get between the keys. But yeah, we heard you. Uh, anyways, you know, especially in the case of the Coco Three, it was a much. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a much better keyboard than the Coco 3, but still could be a little better. Uh, a lot of people interfaced uh, IBM AT keyboards into the Coco. That was a fun project. Jeremy yeah, I Warren. think Cloud9 might even still sell the adapter for hooking in either an XT or an AT keyboard. Yeah. Cloud9 was also working on a, a retro where they take your keycaps and put them on a... Well, I guess they're putting new keycaps on the uh, uh, Mylar. Right. Yeah, he said uh, at the Fest that he would have made some very good progress on that. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Ed's doing the, uh, the, the, the even doing the laser printing on these keycaps for his keyboard as well. Mm -hmm. He's got his own laser set up now for it. Yeah, Ed, key, you know, support Ed. He keeps uh, piling the money back in to make, you know, buying 3D printers and uh, laser etchers, and that stuff's not cheap. Yeah, and he's not selling at a great, you know, profit margin either. I mean, he's selling stuff pretty, pretty close to the, the bone as far as cost goes. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was talking about one hundred and twenty dollars for his keyboard or something, which is, you know, for, yeah. for a keyboard of that quality. That's I've got two of them on order myself. So. Yeah. Well, my last, my last, my last, yeah, my last IBM keyboard that I bought, I spent two hundred dollars on that thing. Because I spent all day typing. Of course, I also like all the RGB color keys too. So <laughs> there's the bottom. You can see there that shot that photo one back. Oh, there that one too. You can see with the uh, the contact underneath. Mm. They're directly accessible. And I asked Ed whether that would be the case on his final version, and he said yes, it will. So that's a, a hardware tweaker's dream. That. Yep. Uh, let's see. Um, I mentioned okay. this one earlier, but I'm excited about the uh, the Paragon uh, joy, uh, joypad adapters because I'm a gamer, and I don't know how I used to play the games with the Black Beauty joysticks and uh, even the Deluxe, but um, for some games, the digital joysticks is just a lot. The digital gamepad is a lot better. So um, yes, and now Sega has officially released uh, Sega brand controllers that you can get on Amazon. So it's uh, you can get an actual genuine yeah. Sega controller. And a Paragon controller, and you're all set. Yeah. Paragon adapter. Let's see. I tried playing DK Remix with the again with the Black Beauty, and it's just not doing it for me. Okay, so we got joysticks, we've got paddles, we've got um, keyboards. Keyboards. Notice the a trend there. It's input devices. Uh, because we have output devices like the. Uh, you know, the uh, Switcheroo or the Coco VGA. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the Coco VGA is definitely turning out to be quite a project, isn't it? Giving some life into the old Cocos one and two, or is it Coco just two VGAs right now? must have the Coco one and two. Yeah. I've got two. I've got three Coco ones here, and two of them have got Coco VGAs in them. Yeah, and I mean, it's gone beyond, like, you know, I think, Brendan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the original version of the product was basically just to get VJ outputs. So you didn't have to worry about getting composite monitors or RF out based stuff. Right. And now you've, you know, updated it with, you know, enhancements that are even beyond the Coco 3 in some cases. So it's, it's really pushing the, the boundary of the Coco 1 and 2 hardware. And, of course, I've been seeing in the chat um, on the U2 page, people are saying sound. Uh, the sound was a little sucky on the Coco uh, compared to other systems there. If you want to generate sound, the CPU had to do the work. And when you've got to twi twiddle something 6,000 times a second, it doesn't leave much time to do something else. And we're seeing between Ed's uh, mini multi-pack, mini mega multi-pack, let's get that name right. Uh, he's got a sound chip. Uh, let's see, John Linville with his... Uh, Cartridge, she's got a sound chip on there. Yeah. There's the uh, Mega Mini. That's the, uh, where is it? Uh, that's the OPL3 output socket mm -hmm. right there. And it's the stereo Yamaha FM OPL3 chip, which is a really nice chip. I've mm -hmm. uh, played around with Ed's uh, Coco chip tunes player, and it's uh, the sound quality on it's really, really nice, way above anything you get stock on the Coco. Right. And the, of course, the real advantage for me as a video game programmer, since I don't have to spend so much time twiddling the sound port, I just have to tell it when to play a sound and it goes off and does it. Um, it gives me more time to do the graphics parts of the game. Um, some of the games that I produced for Tandy on the Coco 3, uh, I had an option to turn off the background music. When you did that, the game played 25% faster. Huh. Yeah, well. So, um, you know, that, that's something that's happening from modern, you, you, you can't buy a computer these days without some sort of sound chip inside there. Okay, the speech sucked on it, but did the sound part of the speech sound pack uh, help you out? Or? There was a few games I came out with with the uh, speech uh, sound pack using the sound, but the problem is to use it, you were looking at close to a $400 investment because you not only had to buy the $100 um, sound card, you also had to buy a multi-pack. Yep. So that was a difficulty. And in the case of uh, Ed's mega multi-pack, mul whatever, boy, he's got a mega mini, yeah, mega mega mini multi-pack. Multi Say that 20 mini times. Mini, 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 Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's already included in there. And um, Jim Brain's working on a in-between card that you plug into the Coco and then you plug in your SDC or floppy disk controller into it and it also gives you sound capability. So that's another thing that's kind of nice from the modern age coming into the Coco to make life in interesting. Now, uh, talking of, sorry, Steve, while we're on that uh, topic, um, we've got John Strong, here we go, mm -hmm. on, the, on the show. How's your, uh, you were working on the play command, having that coming out the APL3 chip I do believe, yes. Um, John, is, yeah, I, I think I was going to touch base with you on that, and I haven't got around to it yet. So. Yeah, I haven't got to do the, much of the software work right now. I've, 
I've got it laid out what I need to do. I've had so much going on. And uh, so, but yeah, it's, it's on my radar. Definitely want to do a basic patch. So uh, support some of the hardware stuff. And so I have basically the sound chips. I have the Game Master. You know, I have the, uh, you know, Ed's program with the sound generator. And of course, I have the Mega Mini MPI with my add-on to it. I, I did the original case design for what you, you're seeing that uh, he's showing. This is something I added on for myself as an experiment. But uh, one of the big things, we've had sound cards in the past. And of course, the cost of adding them to it with the system is like Steve said, you, first of all, you got to have the MPI. And until they came down, that was a major a cost factor on it. And then you had to have the sound card on top of that. And so it was major investment. It still is a lot of, a lot of money involved, but uh, it's, it's a lot less. And but the thing that I've seen in the past, even with the, some of the great MIDI programs that we've had, and that was really cool. And I was involved with a group that uh, did a lot the MIDI because they would do hardware control and things like that, plus the MIDI. But what I've never seen anybody do is really make that easily available to the end user. Other than the Orchestra 90 pack had the, the little built-in programming language. And so, uh, yeah, I'm planning to do a overlay on the basic so that you can just, it won't give you the full capabilities of the sound, but it'll, at least you'll be able to do it. You can be able to do it from basic. As long as you're willing to, to run some software before that'll patch that and be able to play it. Well, Alan's already gone through and patched basic for his Sir Sound so that via the play command, you can tell it's a coprocessor to go through and play the notes and, and like that. So you may want to talk to Alan Hoffman. Well, Alan uh, hasn't yeah, updated me. We were talking about that early with the Sir Sound. Actually, we did the uh, original board for him on that. And I know he did some commands that were going out the serial port that we're doing that. It's, mm -hmm. He has not informed me that he actually did the, the overlay on the basic. And so I'd be, you know, really like to hear from him if he has. Saves me work if he has. Yeah. yeah well, he definitely did. He was demonstrating it at the uh, 2018 Coco Fest. So, but uh, yeah, the, the thing that the sound is something that it's always been lacking. Now, when I went on to work on other video game systems like that, the sound chip was had its own CPU to run it. So basically, the game programmer only had to send a command to the sound chip, and it would go off and do what's needed, whether it be play a sound effect, uh, start a particular song, and it would run through. And that we're getting there. Uh, the the fact of a coprocessor helps immensely with the sound chip. Mm. And along that same line, and in a more generic way, I mean, uh, Jim Brain's also working on the Coco Proc, which is a dual 4 megahertz 6309 with onboard RAM and onboard ROM. And you could set up a protocol where you could upload programs to those two CPUs and have them control some background sound. You could do some graphics missing. You could do you know, a, a math coprocessor or something like that, running at 4 megahertz to do complicated math for 3D type functions and stuff too. And that's a generic one, but it allows you to, you know, have the two CPUs working independently of each other on that board and feeding you stuff back, or you can have them work together on shared memory. 
there's mm -hmm. a lot of potential of stuff there too. And then also uh, for as far as output devices go, the Gimme X um, that Ed's also working on with uh, Gary Becker from Coco FPGA fame is gone kind of like Brendan has. It's gone now. It's starting to go beyond the just, you know, I'm going to get VGA output coming out natively. They're also talking about adding some accelerated functions, et cetera, on that as well. And extra palettes and, you know, other things too. So there's some video upgrades. In fact, one of the news items is that another one that Coco Demos did, that guy's trying to recreate that board and it's a 120K VRAM external board that hooks up to Coco 1, 2, or 3 and actually has some graphics capabilities that go beyond the Coco 3. So that's another interesting one to to keep a watch on. That Gimme X is something that I, a lot of us have been keeping our, a close eye on. It's uh, getting near to, near to production too, from what I hear. It's pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, we've been talking for about the last half hour about things that already exist and like that. Let's get into the wish list, things that we see in our modern day that we'd like to have on our cocoa just to make life a little bit oh. easier. Oh, 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 oh. Real time clock. <laughs> hey, you know what I got, you know what I'm gonna say about the real time clock? Look at your damn watch. <laughs> yeah, but every time you boot up a Nitro Snot, you gotta type in the date and time. It just reminds you what the date and time is when you do that. <laughs> uh let me start this one off. I okay. uh we we're kind of seeing this a little bit with the matchbox cocoa, but uh faster processor. Um, even back in the day, Apple had a, you know, the Apple um, 2GS at uh, what three megahertz, and the um, the uh, Apple 2C Plus that was four megahertz, and just that much difference in speed makes quite a bit of difference in what you can do um, in a game or anything else for that matter. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the Apple IIc Plus, people were um, putting in a, a faster clock and a faster CMOS processor um, and uh, faster RAM on uh, the thing so they could get as high as 12 megahertz. So, you know, I, I would like to see something along that line. Um, and uh, one other thing on video, I would like to see a mode that's compatible with the Sinclair Spectrum, because we're seeing all these games come across from the uh, the uh, what's that program called the the arcade game designer, right? Um, and uh, it would be nice to have those all in color. So that's my two wishes. Well, you know, part of the challenge of the Cocoa being so slow is the challenge. Can you program well on such a slow machine, which is one of the advantages mm. of coming back to the old one. But yeah, that was the thing. When I was programming the Cocoa, you were given the single speed, no improvements. You, you know, that was your life and you had to do that. But yeah, I could definitely see uh, where, where we've got the emulators. Uh, you could run the Cocoa at 50 times normal speed. So that's kind of a bit of joy all of a sudden, unless you're trying to play a game that's uh, designed to run <laughs> the old speed and now the guy is running across the screen 50 times faster. Not a lot of fun then. Yeah, it's great for assemblers and yeah. compilers, but. Really, it's a real, that's an interesting topic you make there too, Steve, about, um, about good programming. I mean, good programming is good programming no matter what the speed of, the, of it is. It's just a, a faster speed will tend to cover up a little bit sloppy programming, but it's still sloppy programming. So to me, it, it, it's always a 
I think one of the things I like about um, about the Coco One um, is the limitations we have on it um, encourage us to, to, to be more creative um, with the way we go about um, approaching programming tasks, especially for things that are that are time critical. Um, and that's one thing I like about, you know, even though I've got the, uh, the the timer function and everything on the Coco Three now, which I'm just starting to explore, I still like. The, 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 the principle of, of um, getting the most out of the program on a Coco 1 first, um, then run it on the Coco 3. Because if I can get the code working really nicely on a Coco 1, um, it's got to be good quality code to get, to get it to do what I want it to do reliably and efficiently and, and, and with good timing. Yeah, it's, you know, and we also had a lot of uh, creative people come through and start doing things like. Uh, um, stack blasting where you actually use the stacks push and pull instructions to put graphics on the screen uh, a lot of people have dived into the 6309 which has some functions in there to uh, move graphics quickly and other things I mean Curtis is definitely familiar with that chip because he loves putting into his uh, OS 9 variants yes yep so that, that, that is our current you know, official accelerator chip because i mean it has the native mode which strips 10 to 15 percent off the execution time of most instructions not a huge increase but it does help and there's like hardware divide and, and well, lock memory moves and extra registers and all kinds of things that you can get some code literally running two to three times faster on that if you code well, for some it. with some of the um uh, modern implementations of uh of the um motorola microcontrollers uh you know the hc uh, 12 or 16 or whatever some of the modern versions of those actually run at about four times the speed of the original cpu and uh even if the system clock speed is the same uh, you know the bus speed is the same it might be possible to get more speed out of the machine without you know messing anything else up not have to worry about gimme timing or, or anything like that but you don't have to run it at that fast you know you can always optimize the code so it works on everything but can do a little more if you have more speed yep that's true and i mean you bring up a good point too i mean one of the things that locks the coco 3 at the two megahertz because i mean back in the day we used to do clock crystal upgrades super cheap part a couple of pins you just solder okay i got build to solder it um but you put it in a clock crystal and then you could clock the coco 2 two and a half megahertz and then everything speeds up now if you were running cassette stuff or you know serial io printer stuff and, and serial io bit banger port uh, rs232 stuff it would definitely start screwing up time and you have to make adjustments to programs to do that but you'd get a you know a 50 percent speed increase type thing but it threw the the gimme out of sync with the monitors because that's all driven off the same clock and you had some issues with that and i mean something like the gimme x i think is the first step of getting that where we're decoupling the gimme video hardware from controlling everything else speed wise and then once that's decoupled and if you say started add i made a gimme x version 2 that had onboard ram that's running at the full speed of the microcontroller and then you do graphics functions that you can just you know send a command to the gimme saying you know, block move this memory from here to here one it could look at the entire memory map it doesn't have to go through memory registers and stuff and then you could actually do the things at a native 12 50, 25 megahertz it could become a, a full-blown you know graphics sound slash interrupt handling processor uh, co-processor basically mm -hmm. and, and do huge speed increases which i know it's the semantics of it for some people that's that's kind of losing the cocoa kind of behind 
Um, I myself, I think I would at least try a few of those things because it sounds like fun. Um, oh. But I, I think that was a good uh, point that Mr. O'Connor brought up too, is that um, having the forced restrictions we do have now does force you to be a better programmer. And that's something you don't see in the modern world because everybody's running high level languages and stuff and dependent on compilers and their optimizations. They have no idea what the code underneath is actually doing. Yeah, you've got four gigahertz machines you're throwing at it that you can write sloppy code and you won't even notice because if it takes one thousandth of a second or nine hundred thousandths of a second, you won't notice the difference. I was thinking out of the box. Uh, in the future, maybe we could come up with a, a case that was a little bigger to accommodate all these boards we're sticking in. Yeah, not unlike the uh, uh, 1000HX looks. Yeah, I have a bigger keyboard and... Uh, more space inside for all these boards we're doing. Maybe even. Uh, I've got a. Uh, I've got a model four case coming. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to buy all the uh, 3D printers to print up those cases for those folks. Well, in ten years or so, there'll be uh, probably advances in those machines. Yeah, you'll pick them up at Walmart then, so it'll be easy. Yeah, you can buy bigger ones, um, and faster ones. Some of the bigger companies are starting to get into it. Some of the bigger names, so. Uh, you're going to see some of the prices come down, but you know, it, it's, it's not going to drop overnight. No. Well, see, part of the thing that keeps the price up there is there's a lot of mechanical over uh, movement over and over again, the same direction, same stuff. You have to make that stuff um, wear tolerant and mm -hmm. eventually they do wear out, but that that's the thing that keeps the price up there. You know, it's kind of like the case with Disney. Um, I can buy servos all day long that are $15 to move a, a jaw of a character, right. but they'll spend, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 on a servo because it is just so well-tuned that it just doesn't wear because they don't want to constantly have to replace the servos in a figure that runs 16 hours a day seven days a week yeah, yeah 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 so it's it's that sort of thing and these things are running quite a bit and you got to make them so that they don't wear so the servos that they have in there are not your cheap 15 dollars servos they're quite a bit more and the other parts just have to be wear tolerant it's not a cheap thing to build well and the problem that i had is i bought two of the larger size 3d printers and they both failed on me Mm -hmm. in a few weeks and I had to send them back. That's why I don't have a large one uh, at this time. And uh, because it was there and I'm actually considering maybe building my own just to make sure that it works because if I have to fix it, I know exactly what it takes to do it. And but it, is it possible to print a cocoa case with 3D printer? Yes, I've shown, I don't have, don't know where it's at right now, but I've shown, a, you know, like a, a scale version of a design that I did. And yes, you could do it. The, the question is, do you want to take that much time? To and how many it? days did that case take? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, full size, it's going to be days, okay? Or, or at least even, a day. I've seen yeah. even Raspberry Pi cases where they, they're the, just a little computer looking thing that's not all the parts. And they're saying it took 36 hours for this tiny little thing for just a raspberry pi you know so oh wow they're they're running a very slow printer than on a raspberry pi case to take that that long okay and uh 
So yeah, they, there's big variations in speed, there's variations in quality, uh, variations in the software. And, you know, I, I fought with it all, so I kind of know. And, you know, I kind of pioneered this for the Cocoa community. And it's not that other people weren't doing it. Nobody was actually producing product for people for it. And since I bought mine, the, the, the stuff has got better. It's a lot easier to go out and buy one and to get it running out of the box than it was when I started. And so, uh, yeah, larger cases is very much possible. You know, I could print one. If I had the equipment, I could do it. Do I want to print very many of them? I don't know. I don't know if they, anybody want to pay the price or want to charge for the failure rate I'd probably have in the current machines, you know, that the average person could afford. The same thing with uh, with laser, like like Ed using having a laser system to, to etch his keycaps. Um, laser scanners are very much in the same category there. I've been playing around with lasers now since the since the 80s. Um, I've got a few systems here, RGB um, one, and I've got a, a 60,000 milliwatt blue one here that I've been experimenting with, uh, which is powerful enough to, to melt bricks into into uh, glass. Um, and when you get start getting up in power, you know, like large amounts of power like that from laser outputs, the kind of power that can etch and cut things, um, the optics become the expensive thing. The laser itself is actually not that expensive. It's the it's the scanners which are continuously moving at, 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 at tens of thousands of times a second, yeah, um, the and the optics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The optics and the mirrors and stuff that have to handle the heat. I mean, the mirrors have to be kept so pure when you're talking about super high power outputs that one tiny little speck of dust getting on there, and you get a, a laser beam um, hitting that speck of dust, and it'll melt it into the mirror and destroy the mirror in an instant. Well, so, we've been. Uh, We've been talking a lot about hardware here and things that we'd like to see on the Coco as far as hardware or things that we've gotten. How about the software angle? I know, Curtis, you've got a few ideas. If oh, I've got tons, this. way too many to actually do. Um, but I mean, one thing is to get drivers for all this new hardware that's coming out. Uh, that's the main thing. I mean, whether it's mm -hmm. you know patches to basic for play command to support some of the sound cards or multi-voice sound, um, some of the enhancements for the... Um, Coco VGA and the uh, the Gimme X when it comes up with some of the accelerations and stuff like that uh, to get it so you can access it from basics, you can access it from Nitrous 9. I mean, I'll help obviously with the Nitrous 9 side of things. I don't have enough skills on the basic side, so hopefully John, Alan Huffman, and a few others can kick in there. But we want to make these things, all these new hardware accelerations and, and new hardware available to casual programmers. They, they, like right now, you basically have to be able to write a semi-language to write you know, something custom for your program or your game or whatever it is. And we want to abstract it enough that people can just write basic or basic nine or whatever, and they get access to all this new stuff. And that's, that's why I think where the software has to get quite frankly, catch up with the hardware. Cause it's, it's falling further and further behind with you know, Jim brain and Brandon and Ed and everybody else just cranking out all this new hardware, which is awesome. But aside from demos and, and you know, stuff they've been able to write themselves, there's not that much software other support yet. Ed's done a few things like he's got 64 column Coco VJ compatible Infocom games, for example. So we're starting to see things in there, but we need, we need some software to catch up with the hardware and especially software that is accessible to beginners. And of course, for you, that's anything to do with OS nine. Yeah. Yep. Well, Bill, Bill's helping with that too. I'm, I'm not the only one on that. So yeah. Well, you know, and, that's uh, that's the thing is that was the idea of Tandy 
putting OS 9 on the COCO was that as things improve in the future, we actually had a operating system that you could put drivers in and like that. I mean, that's the way our modern world is right now between Linux, uh, Windows, and OS 10. Uh, you know, everything, OS 10. Everything's abstracted drivers. You don't talk to the hardware directly almost at all. Yeah. So, so we're definitely getting to be more modern like that if you use OS 9. Of course, somebody like me, I kind of avoided OS 9 because that got in the way of me trying to get the most efficient uh, use of the computer for my game because I wanted to have access to all the memory and all the speed. And of course, the downside is my games are not compatible with um, some when new the, hardware comes out. Yeah, new hardware comes remember. out. So that's the thing is maybe we should consider if you've got a good general purpose program and you're not trying to code to the metal, as they say, uh, start considering using OS nine um, or, or Nitrous nine. Is another option too. I mean, it's a bit behind OS nine on some things, and it's on par with some others. So it's mm -hmm. it's another option. Well, speaking yeah. of the OS 9 and, and BASIC, um, um, I might have asked this before, I can't remember, but if I have a, a program, say I've got a program I've written in BASIC um, that I'm quite happy with, but I'd like to see a speed increase on it, can I then bring that BASIC program across to, to BASIC 09 and have it compile it into something that will run faster? Or Yes, mm -hmm. with modifications. How's that for an answer? Yep. <laughs> you just yeah, have to, I, you'll have to manually convert it to BASIC 09, but it will run much faster. Yeah. So the basic, so the, the conversion would be, I'd imagine that would be with only with certain commands and, and maybe certain memory map things and things who are accessing the hardware, would that be right? Or Well, most of the time, if you're accessing hardware, you'd be doing it through drivers. So you'd be doing open paths to it and stuff and let, let the operating system handle it so that it doesn't care whether you have a hard drive versus a floppy drive or a 40 column window versus an 80 column window or whatever. That's a, that's a whole abstraction layer you want in the software. Uh, as far as Basic 9 goes, Basic 9 is you know a lot more advanced Basic than Basic is, and has but it to take advantage of some of the speed increases, you have to change some of your variables from real floating point numbers to integers because they're a lot faster. Kind of like what Bruce was mentioning earlier with the C Basic compiler he's using, same situation there. I mean, you integer math just a lot faster, and for stuff like plotting points on the screen, well, there's there's a finite number of pixels, and you don't do like 0.25 pixels, you know. Type thing. Yep, yep, yep. So. Yeah, there's some conversion required. So once once you learn the language well enough to know what to convert, then it, it it's not that hard. But that initial learning that that's the that's the tough part. Yeah. Okay. So do you think that's as yeah, critical yeah. for games? Like for example, we have we've had quite a few games come out in the last couple of years: Popstar Pilot, and uh, Bomb Bomb Threat, and Forged Doom, and that sort of stuff. And those all run under RS DOS, which I know is not real DOS. Uh, so do you think it's, do you think for games, it's still a, a big thing to go to OS 9 or? I, th I think with the new hardware, it'll start to be like Steve said, that's the reason uh, an operating system is designed is to abstract the hardware from the programmer. So you don't have to program for the metal because then you don't have to worry about, okay, I've got to support five different sound cards here. There's some OPL3 chips or some stuff based on the sound speech back. Oh, sound cards. Yeah. Yeah. Right now the programmer has to write drivers in their game for every single one of those if they want to support them. And most don't, most will pick one or two that they like. And that's what they do. I mean, Nick's a good example of that, um, where he, you know, it's not worth his time to write it for every single piece of hardware that somebody might have. Even with Tandy Radio Shack back in the day, I mean, the, aside from the, you know, the extra cost of having to need a multi-pack to support anything, you had the York 90 if you wanted stereo, we had the sound speech pack if you wanted multi-voice, that's not a CPU intensive, plus you had the six-bit DAC to support. 
And then if you went into like third party stuff, well, then you start adding Super Voice and you know a whole bunch of these others from other manufacturers. Mm. And almost nobody supported all of these things. You only the company that sold these would actually support them. So the whole point of OS nine is to have this abstraction layer where you run the same command, and it you, whatever driver you have installed, that's where it's going. Yeah, um, sound cards, well, yeah speaking speaking of that, Nick, uh, we haven't really heard from you about Pop Star Pilot. If the drivers were available to do the graphic modes that you're doing, the sound modes you're doing, do you think that there would be a disadvantage for you to do um, Popstar Pilot under OS 9? Um, I wouldn't do it, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Mainly because I, I, I don't know about OS 9, you know, it's, it's just a whole new environment I've got to learn. It's, it's uh, I just feel comfortable with just Riding to the bare metal. It's just, I'm in full control. Well, it's every, true. Game, every cycle is mine. Yeah. Your game does not require to use old hardware. I mean, use new hardware. Your game is strictly using the hardware that exists for the yeah. Coco for the past uh, some 30 years. Yeah. So you're not looking at new stuff. But now if I was going to sit down and write a uh, artist program, you know, a uh, graphic designer, or if I was going to any other type of product, you know, productivity tool, I think I would sit down right under OS nine because then I could take advantage of all this hardware without having to do all that work. But I'm like you, we, we like to program to the metal to get every single clock cycle out of the cocoa. Yeah. 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 That's what, that's something I've been used to doing that programming uh, directly for the Coco hardware. Um, but with things like Coco VGA, for example, um, and the, 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 um, the OPL3 chip in the Mega Mini MPI, um, those are things that with my synthesizer project, I, 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 it would be interesting to be able to take advantage of those um, and, and write them directly from an operating system where I don't have to write for the actual hardware itself. I can, I can write the, the software um, to, to do the commands that I want um, under OS 9 without having to worry about how it accesses the OPL3 or how it accesses the Coco VGA, for example. Yeah. Um, so that and to be honest, I mean, even, even basic itself has hooks for some of their stuff that actually people have taken advantage, like the print hooks, for example, in basic to do the print command. People have patched those to run, say, a word pack. So if you have, you have an 80 column card in a Coco 1, it actually will do your program listings and prints using and everything else off to that other card and the way alan was doing the play command for sir sound it would redirect the play command to go to a sir sound device instead of using the built-in six-bit DAC. so i mean basic does have some hooks to do that but it's nowhere near as abstracted as as os9 is like os9 doesn't really know from the operating system file manager point what's the difference between a hard drive and a floppy drive it doesn't care it just goes i want to read a sector i want to read the four thousandth sector on whatever device i'm on ram drive r drive floppy drive doesn't care whereas basic you know has a lot of hard-coded values because it was expecting when it was being written that you're only going to have a 35 track floppy on this thing and nobody's unless you get third-party DOSs, that was never expanded even though tandy sold 40 track double-sided drives this basic never went past 35 track single-sided and that's that's where the abstraction layer really helps and os9 natively supported all that stuff you know pretty well right off the bat so any other stuff from modern technology uh i've got one uh people have been patching visual uh studio 
from Microsoft to aid and development. Also, we're looking at things where we can do everything on emulators for software development. So we can use a modern PC to develop our software, try it out, test it, and then we can test it on a final Cocoa. It kind of speeds up the development cycle, makes life easier. Plus I can use my beautiful 34 inch monitor that sits in front of me with a couple other monitors off to the side in Cocoa development. So that's one area that we've got. If you're going to sit down and do well, I won't call writing a game on a Cocoa productivity work, but it's still along <laughs> those lines. Uh, Steve, we do have some people that's doing some of that. Yeah, I exactly. Have a little bit of that. I, I do it too. Yeah. And uh, so I actually have a tool that I upgraded when Stevie uh, Strowbridge was doing his Cosmic Aliens that uh, I made it available to him so you could actually edit basic right on the uh the PC and then transfer it, run the emulator, start it up. Uh, I think uh, there's some other people who's doing the same thing that's out there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that is happening. Um, and I'm actually going to be looking at developing my tool a little bit farther. Uh, I want to capture the uh, uh, one of the assemblers and stuff and use that and do some things. So yeah, that is happening. Just not really in a big way yet. Yeah. But it's, well, it's starting. Well, like for example, Paul put together a nice streamlined system where you could uh, assemble, you know, edit, assemble your, your assembly language code on the PC, bring it right over. It was literally a no brainer. You just ran a few batch files and that was it. So yeah, it's definitely coming there where we can use modern hardware to produce uh, product on the Cocoa. Yeah, Rick, Adam, Rick Adams does that as well. And there's there's other yeah. options too. I mean, you can use the emulators, you can use like a Cocoa FPGA or the Matchbox, which you mm -hmm. know emulates the hardware level of the Cocoa, but lets you run at 12 and a half or 25 megahertz and, and lets you run 80 by 60 text screens and stuff for doing your editing, which Bill Noble, I know that's what he does running natively under Nitrous 9. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, um, Rick is using, um, let's see, Raspberry Pi, isn't he? The Cocoa yes. Pi project? Yeah. So Bruce, you had something to say? Well, I just, yeah, I'm doing that too. I happen to be using the Phoenix uh, IDE on my Mac. Uh, well, it's a Windows program, so I'm using, <laughs> I'm dual booting. Anyway, I've got a Mac run, I've been running the Windows IDE and uh, so I'm writing all my code in there, and then I hit the, the go button, which launches a batch file and fires up MAME, and it, it, it copies all the, the stuff onto a disk, and then I just it just run it MAME at, at super speed, so it compiles everything, and then, you know, I'm running it. So I can't imagine how long it would have taken if I'm doing it straight <laughs> on the Cocoa <laughs> forever, I guess. Yeah. Now, can you do the same thing with VCC emulator instead of MAME? Well, um, uh, you can, but MAME's got some extra goodies when you figure out all the funny little settings that, that are that are pretty handy. Yeah, plus the debugger in MAME is something VCC well, does not yeah, have. Yeah, when you, when you need the debugger, there it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you can do a key captures for MAME, so uh, keystroke captures. So when I have MAME fire up, I have, it runs this little batch file where it has me type in load this, run this, execute, then, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to capture all that. It's part of another batch file, and now I don't have to retype all the time, so I just let it go. Uh, you yeah. can't do that on VCC, to my knowledge. 
Uh, gotcha. Because I normally use VCC. I'm going to, have to learn how to use MAME then. Because um, I have Phoenix. I, it's just that there's no manual that I've been able to find, and I can't get it to work. And I like to program in Basic 09, and it's a lot easier to go back and forth in that. And right. Yeah, I actually did this with Basic 09 as well. I got it so uh, it would comp. Yeah, um, it would open up MAME with uh, I, I'm not with Nitrous 9 and. Um, I believe I captured the keystroke so that it would go into, yeah, basic 09 and then compile. And then, yeah, yeah. So it would, it got, I got that far with it and then I could just run it and see what happened. Okay, we need to get some documentation together for this. Well, that's another thing I'm seeing with the community is they are starting to use uh, code sharing sites like uh, GitHub and et cetera to create a community of developers. It's no longer the lone wolf sitting in their cabin in the woods writing the software. It's a group of people getting together to produce a better product. So actually that's, that, that's a good point. Uh, another thing we were talking about the upgrades for the Cocoa and hardware and software. Another one is documentation. Um, mm, mm, mm. We've, we've got all these utilities and tools and, and, you know, emulators and stuff that I don't think are fully documented from a Cocoa perspective. I mean, MAME has some generalized docs that are really hard to read. But trying to figure out like their image tool thing, I mean, it's it's a mess. Pardon the pun, because that's actually what it was originally called. But um, <laughs> I think documentation for some of the these types of things, documentation for some of the revised versions of programs. Nitrous Nine itself, I know, if you download the level two manual, that covers some things, but a lot of the commands have changed syntax since then, and, and there's new commands and new features added that aren't documented there at all. And they're unless you're going through the source code, you won't even know some of this stuff exists. And that's something we've been trying to do with ease of use. I've been trying to add some stuff there, but that's still way far behind too. So we need some help with that, I think, across the board as well. Yeah, that's that's one of the things, especially with new products, that um, that I find is is critical to the success of the product is documentation of how to access all these functions on it. I mean, it's it's great to have um, all these products, but but if we can't actually, as programmers, you know, know how to access them and, and what we what we need to do to get access to all these things it becomes a hindrance to um to getting in there to to to, uh, to actually doing things with them so good documentation is critical yeah i'll give you one specific example i actually hit an ease of use just within the last couple of betas i had a couple of programs that i've been trying to get running on there and i could not figure out why they would just crash and i finally figured out that basically they the gfx2 module which is a, a a set of routines you can call in a more English-like style um, that Kevin Darling and Ken Myers had revised back in like 1990 to add some stuff to support multi-view menuing and, and things like that. Um, for some reason, the repository was using the stock graphics too from Tandy from 1987 still. So any of the programs that use this new version of graphics too with all these extra features did not run, it would just crash. And uh, I, once I finally figured that out, I've now installed uh, that into the ease of use. It's now built in. You get the new version. Now these programs all of a sudden are running again. But that wasn't really documented anywhere that you know these programs require it. And it wasn't documented that the Nitrous 9 3.3 release doesn't have any of that new stuff in it to begin with. So that's just one, one example I hit recently where that it, it definitely was causing problems. Interesting talking about documentation and using like with Nitrous 9, for example. Um, ease of use. Um, I'm interested in getting in and looking at Basic 09 and just finding out some more about it and using it for, for reasons we've spoken about before. Is there documentation about what commands I can use in Basic 09 to access certain hardware 
um, via um, you know, say I want to access 64 column mode on it on um, oh, I don't know if I can do that on I'm thinking Coco VGA is Coco one. Um, there is 64 column support in OSN level one for Coco VGA. Okay, okay. So I can. But is it well documented? Uh, we have sample boot disks. I think Brendan's got them on his site that you can just kick it in and it's running in 64 columns. But do I have actual technical explanations of what under the hood has to change to enable that if you want to run both regular VDG and and Coco VGA? And no. <laughs> There's some mm. mentions of it in the source code for the driver, but yeah, that's mm -hmm. another place where documentation is lacking. What you need to do is get somebody on your team that's good at writing documentation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, 64 column mode, getting back to talking about whether we use an emulator on a modern PC to, to code for, for our old Cocos or whether we use the actual hardware itself. I mean, 64 column mode in itself is, is, is a, that's, that's a huge advantage for for, um, for writing programs on a Coco. I mean, you're, how many times we go back and we go list 100 minus 200 or, oh, hang on, no, I want 205 or 210 or I skip a line or whatever and then you've got to you know, find the line that you want to edit and then go back. If you've got more lines on the screen, it's easier to go, I want that line. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah, and that's another thing too, like the, the some of this new hardware that's coming out, uh, some of the emulators, well, actually most of them at this point, don't support a lot of that new hardware. There are a few things. Game Master Cartridge is supported. I know, Brendan, you've been talking with Tim Linder and a few others about actually getting Coco VJ support into MAME, yeah. which would really help for people that don't have the actual hardware. They can make sure that their software is going to work and take advantage of the features if they're available. Right. Um, yeah, but it would be good to get all the, you know, all the different uh, sound chips and things like that that are supported in hardware into, into MAME as well. I think yeah, and awesome. the Gimme X once it's out, you know, support <clears throat> yep. for its extra features and stuff too. Yeah, agreed. I'd kind of like to see a um, program that would characterize what computer you have. You know, maybe even OS nine could do it or whatever. You know, uh, a New user comes along, they can throw the program in and say it's got one twenty eight. Uh, you know, it might have uh, other things added to it. Because in the future, people are going to be buying other people's machines that are already altered and have the 6309 in it. Um, we, we do have some of that stuff. I mean, Nitrous 9 auto detects memory from 128K to 2 meg, for example, when you boot yeah. it. Um, because there's so many, uh, you know, 6309 specific code to the 6309 version. That's, that's not something you want to auto detect because we'd have to make the drivers all twice as big to have all the 6809 code and the 6309 code. Um, which is what Windows, you know, does it, you know, determining whether you've got a Pentium 2, 3, 4, or Celeron, or any of the more modern chips, it can actually check. But you have enough RAM in those systems to have alternate versions of the code that you can load in if you want to have the operating system optimized for whatever. On the Cocoa, that's, it's a lot more limiting. So you mm -hmm. could make an auto-detect program for a lot of that stuff, like the 6 through 9, that's fairly easy to do. Whether you're native mode, that's a little bit more difficult, not very hard. But there are some hardware that, because of the way they work, it's hard to tell whether that's actually installed. And I think, Brendan, the Coco VJ is one of those, is it not? There's no easy way to, to detect software-wise that you have one installed or not. Yeah, or that's a, a limitation of, of where it's installed. I mean, basically, there's no way to ask the VDG socket anything. You can't ask, you can't request any information from the 6847. So, yeah, mm. there's, there's no way to detect it. Um, you know, so you're you're limited to 
you know, the user being intelligent enough to look on the back of their system and, oh, I've got a, you know, this funky round jack that uh, <laughs> I've never seen before and, you know, uh, realize that they have a Coco VGA installed. Oh, what does this button do? <laughs> Two yeah. little buttons next to it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't press that red button. <laughs> well, we're just almost out of time, the subject, but I just wanted to give one last chance to get into the dream area. What would be the thing that you would like to really have added to the cocoa that's from the modern world? I would love to have both infrared and USB with some sort of microcontroller smart enough to handle the various protocols for stuff like keyboards and mice and joysticks and scanners and printers and everything else that you have you know enough software built onto this little adapter board that you could just start driving all the modern external drives and printers and everything else like we were mentioning before, but just from one piece of hardware that would just be able to talk to it. I know the USB protocol sucks and it's quite difficult to do this all in software for specific things, but we could come up with something that would generically handle a lot of these things that you just send you know, the straight stream of bytes to it and it, it automatically converts it all. That would be my dream thing is that all the modern hardware would just hook up. And that's part of the problem with the modern hardware. Not only is USB complicated, but also they require a very powerful computer to come up with everything. Uh, if you look at a modern printer, there is no intelligence in those things. There's no fonts, there's no nothing. Nothing, nothing <laughs> in there. There's nothing in there. And it's all up to the machine drive. And that's an area where a computer from 30 years ago just cannot handle. Uh, yeah, How many well. of us uh, use printers? I don't. I don't even have a printer with any ink in it right now in my house at all. Neither do I, actually. <laughs> I have well, my laser printer sitting right here, and I use it just about every day. That's one. Yeah. I'm well, looking over here. Laser printer regularly. I use a laser printer here. I'm looking at my shelf here. I've got five printers. Okay. <laughs> and and less, less so don't tell me Steve, printer. I think you yeah. have a hoarding problem. Um, <laughs> no, I have uh, making up for the rest of us. High quality inkjet printer. I've got a HP uh, 6P laser printer that just won't die that I still use as my main printer. I have a color laser printer, and then I've got another laser printer that's also a fax machine. And oh yeah, there's another laser printer there. So yeah, there's there's five machines here. But they're okay. all, I've been doing, all I've been doing a lot of print to PDF. <laughs> yeah. Oh, one other thing I want to add to the dream thing, and I mean some people are already doing this. The STC is one that does, and I know it's a little bit more expensive than the hardware, but I would love some of these hardware upgrades to be upgradable in the field from the cocoa itself. Because right now you have to get these extra boards and you have to have a bit of technical know-how to be able to flash upgrade the Coco VJ and the Gimme X from my yep. understanding is going to be the same way. And it would be nice to do like the Coco SDC does where you can actually load a program on the Coco itself and it actually can do the upgrade on the firmware and on the FPGA or CPLD itself. And I would like to see more of that. I know it costs more, but it'd be a lot easier than having to you know go to a fest to get somebody that has the right hardware to hook up to to flash the upgrades because i mean like in brendan's case especially he's been releasing updates fairly regularly here so if you don't have one of these boards you have to wait every, you know every year to go to the fest or ship it off to him every time there's an upgrade so i'd love to see more self updating stuff that can be done from the COVID itself that uh, valid, uh, that'll valid be point. great for virus uh, creators too if i want to wreck someone's machine i just uh, put 
some code in my program. Well, that will Nick, go in now there that you've admitted it, we know it's going to be your fault. So we know. What you're <laughs> well, I'm going to I'm going to blame uh, David Ladd. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to blame Nitrous Nine, but that's so that, I've got yeah. the pop star pilot virus. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> oh, do we have anything else on our? We're going to talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do have one thing. Yeah, I have one thing on my wish list. Um, and David Ladd may actually pull this off. Actually, he's been he's on well on the way to doing it. But um, with his optical mouse, I would love to be able to on my Coco while I'm, when I'm writing a program, I would love to have the mouse go up and highlight, uh, put the cursor in a spot on a line, and I can go directly in and edit from that point instead of having to type edit one ten and then go and you know you know press the you know, 22, press the forward button and say, oh, no, I didn't want that many letters or whatever, just to have the mouse to go oh, on. You want a WYSIWYG. WYSIWYG. More or less, sort of, yeah. It's called OS9. All I want to do is just be able to put... It's called know, Windows or Mac. <laughs> <laughs> That's one advantage with an emulator is you can do that. But if I could do that on a hardware Coco, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Oh, oh as Nitrous 9, you can somehow because there's text editors and because you have multi-windows, you can have a window with your source code and then you can have basic 9 or your C compiler running in another window and you can do your, your arrow key editing there. I do that all the time. Okay. Okay. Well, I think we've kind of beaten this subject to the death for right now. If there's a lot more, we'll bring it back in a few episodes and we'll just have version two. We got real and um, <laughs> it's imaginary. But why don't we go ahead and take a break and then we come back. Curtis, do you think we'll be ready for the news rundown? Yeah, as long as I don't have another power failure. Yeah, I was kind of worried about that. So do you think you're gonna be able to get your screen up too? Uh, yeah, I should be able to. I've already got all of them all queued up and, and ready to go with all the tabs. So as I was just crossing my fingers on this rainstorm, not causing another power cutout. Uh, we got to get you a UPS. That's part. I have one, but unfortunately, the internet disconnects at that. Oh, point, so. that's true. Uh, you have to go to your cell phone. Okay. Yeah. You got to put a UPS on the uh, internet parts. Yep. <laughs> my my fiber cable coming in. Its translation is on a battery backup, and all my other hardware is on battery backup. The uh, routers and everything. So yeah, I, I actually keep internet when power goes down. Yeah, unfortunately, is, my my yeah. my modem is like like three floors away from me. I'm like my computer and stuff is here is all yeah. on a UPS, but I have to get a second mm -hmm. one for the other one. Let's just put yeah. this way: in my home, when the power goes out, there's about six or seven UPSs screaming that there's no power. Yeah, mine was <laughs> beeping pretty good. My wife, no doubt, complains really in the a middle of the night. Orchestra. Yeah. My entire system here is studio and home. I've got uh, a big solar array and I've got big um, AGM batteries and, and uh, basically big inverter chargers that are running as UPSs. So if the power goes off here, I don't even notice it. Yeah. And that's another thing too, something from the modern world. If you're not running a UPS on your Cocoa, try and get one. Not only does yeah. it help you keep your Cocoa running in the case of the middle of a power outage and you go, Oh, damn, why didn't I save that program? Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is it will also help keep the, when the power comes back on, uh, you know, it's going to keep that surge from taking out the cocoa power supply. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, you did. If you're not running a UPS, at least run a good quality power surge protector. Mm. 
And it doesn't have to be a real big UPS because, you know, you cocos don't draw that much juice. That's true. But the bigger yeah. one you have, the longer you have your runtime. Yep. Yep. And if you're only saving a cassette, boy, do you need the runtime. <laughs> <laughs> and if you ask Rick Adams, the cooling can helps too. So. Yep. Yep. So why don't we go ahead, take our break. When we come back, Curtis is going to give us our news rundown. And then we'll see what else we've got for the show. Hello, I'm David Ladd. Thank you for watching Coco Talk, the world's leading live Coco Talk show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's Original Gamer Stevie Stroke. You know, gameplay. To get your copy of a Gameplay Goodness gameplay. Color Computer Gaming DVD today, gameplay. head on over to 8bit256.com. There you will find several DVDs featuring Color Computer Gameplay videos by the Original Gamer Stevie Stroke. So to get your very own copy of a Gameplay Goodness Color Computer Gaming DVD, head on over to the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com and tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stroke sent you. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. This year, I needed to give a real family pleaser. Honey, please help me with this budget. How about a new game, Dad? Please. And I found it. Radio Shack's Color Computer 2. On sale for just $99.95. It entertains, educates, manages. It's expandable and affordable. Now that really pleases me. The Color Computer 2. Sale price for Christmas. Only at Radio Shack. We now return you to Coco Talk. And hey, we're back. You want to go out and buy one. <laughs> I love how bright white that Coco 2 was. It was all shiny. Not oh, shiny, yeah. bright and bright. I like that one that's on Facebook. Yeah, that looks like it's been dragged through the war times. I think yeah, that I one that went one. through a fire. I thought it was a flood. <laughs> It could it's have been flooded after they tried to water <laughs> down the fire. I don't know. It could, yeah, that's the true. case looks it a little was, melted. It was a dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, it's from the show. <laughs> anyway, for news, I will yep. uh, just uh, queue up. I'm hoping I had all my tabs in the right order, and then when the power went out, I did tell it to try to save the tabs, but it, sometimes it reorders them, so hopefully I don't so, get too far thrown off here. So, so we don't have any video from you there, Curtis. Yeah, I'm just about to share that. Oh, okay. Uh, I can't at the moment. Uh, other participant is sharing, so you'll. Oh, to... sorry. All right, go ahead. Okay. I'd also just like to add all my MC10 coding I do on the real hardware, but I don't. Uh, I I don't bother to save it. <laughs> you are a glutton for punishment. <laughs> And do we really want to put a UPS on an MC10, or should I just plug it right into the wall and, and hope for a power surge? <laughs> uh, I think he's pondering that one. Um, no, I'm just thinking you should plug it straight into the wall without the power adapter. Just send that 120 volts right into it. Oh, <laughs> that's going to hold the door regardless. <laughs> you know what it'll do? Dumpster fire. You, you put that on there, and it's good. Both it'll be the most exciting thing you ever see on that machine. Yeah. The animated smoke graphics is incredible. It looks real, you know, realistic, real life. All the all the magic smoke gets out of every component altogether at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do we have here? Well, I was just about to ask: Is the screen being shared? Okay. Yes. Yeah, it is. <laughs> We're okay. doing good. 
Okay, so this for this first item here, this is an eBay auction that has been talked about in Discord, uh, specifically with Rick Adams too, because he's the one who wrote Temple of Rom, but somebody actually in the Texas area nearby where Tandy was, actually has some production samples of the Temple of Rom and they're actually labeled as such from two production runs that were done in 1988. Um, so these are the internal ones they used for testing to make sure that the ROMs had burned okay and that the cartridge would function correctly on the cocoa. So it is a fairly rare thing to see this. Um, it's also got two versions of the label. They've got the Radio Shack label one, and then the other one is the actual Tandy one, which was done a little bit later on. And uh, the little sticker on the top you can see there actually says it's a Tandy software assembly production sample and which production sample number it was. So I personally have never seen one of these before. Steve, I, did you ever get to see these yourself when they did this no, test? No, no, no. Matter of fact, when it came to the actual game and like that, if I wanted a copy of what Tandy's producing, I had to go to the Radio Shack store and buy one. Well, I remember Rick had mentioned like he, he, he didn't even realize his first uh, ROM card was actually in Radio Shack until he went to see it. Like he hadn't even been yeah. notified it was on sale already. That's insane. So Yeah, it's just, um, yeah, other com game companies like that, they would give me a few copies of my game or something like that. But no, no, Tandy was very, very strict on what went out as far as it's hey if they had to give a copy to every developer that would be a cost that they would have to pass on to the consumer yeah and one other interesting thing in here is uh, part of the auction he's got uh, the copy of the actual uh, temple of rom park name order form here and it has two dates unfortunately i can't quite read one's in april of 88 and one's in september and the April one has a lot size of 100, of which 20 were quality inspected. And then the second one was for 1,700 with 125 inspected. So it kind of gives you the ratio of how many, you know, they didn't test every cartridge, obviously, but they would test a certain percentage. Mm -hmm. And it kind of explains. And also the, the quantities that were ordering at a time, too. Now, Temple of Rom, from what I remember, came out much earlier than like 85. So this must have been like the third or fourth run or something. So just interesting to see those numbers. Because one thing Tandy is very secretive of is, is the sales figures of absolutely anything. Right, uh, like how many cocos are sold, how many of each game are sold. We've always had to ask, you know, software developers, do you know how many you've sold? Type thing. So it's it's nice to actually get some backing documentation on what size their batch orders were. Yeah, and actually, if any of you could do a favor for Rick, I know Rick would love to have a copy of this. If you guys were to buy it and send it to him, he would be so grateful. Yeah, because I, I should apparently... mention it's it's not the cheapest auction. It starts at two hundred dollars. No. So no, but, but these are rare. These are yeah, incredibly rare. They're incredibly rare, and hey, he's not on our show today, so he may not know about it for a few days before it gets bought. So, if there's anybody out there that's feeling really generous and would like to uh, make sure Rick gets a part of his history, that would not be a bad thing to do. Yeah, and just a quick aside there, I did notice in the chat way earlier on the show, uh, Rick actually mentioned he's done some further work on Omnistar the last two days, so he's, he's getting back into his Cocoa stuff after the fest. Mm -hmm. Okay, what do we got next? <clears throat> There's two links here. Now, this is something I had not seen before. I'd heard about it, but never seen them uh, pictured before. And the fact is that Tandy, when they were doing the Tandy Distributor Parodics TDP-100, which was being sold as, a, as an F-board Cocoa 1, basically, but sold outside of Radio Shack stores. I didn't realize that the actual program packs and stuff actually had their own separate labels, their own separate boxes with a different color, their own separate part numbers for the TP, even though it's the exact same game. So Steri Steej had put up this here, and it's actually the blue uh, program pack boxes that say TDP Electronics System 100 Personal Computer on the bottom. And he's got two examples here of Polaris Microbes. 
And of course the Tandy ones were using the silver colored boxes. So I'd never seen these before. This was quite interesting to me because I know the TP only lasted what, about six months to a year. Mm -hmm. So. I wonder if the only real change was the box or whether, what about the catalog numbers? They were different? Like they're different too. Okay. <clears throat> they're unique to the TDP. So they, they kept them, you know, separate as far as internals went. Mm -hmm. And then along the same line, there was another picture uh, Jason Downs had put up. This is a TDP labeled cassette recorder. Hmm. Oh, wow. You can see down here, it actually has the TDP label just above where the uh, record play keys are. Oh, interesting. Other than that, it's a CCR or AD1 or whatever the heck this particular yeah. one was, because yeah. they had several. But yeah, I, I didn't, had no idea they'd relabeled the hardware, too. So that was interesting. And back in time, somebody bought one with a box and the uh, manuals that are all labeled the same. Now, now, has anybody else in the panel seen any of these before? Like, was this just news to me, or is this something that was not really that well known? That there were these separately labeled TDP products. Well, even the computer uh, itself. The Black Beauties were labeled TDPs also. Yeah, those Fair I had seen before, um, because there was a I think Spectrum Projects and a few others uh, actually sold TDPs bundled with joysticks uh, as packages. So they there was enough of those I think made to be sold with just about every TDP. But these these I'd never known that there were separate branded ones. I don't recall anything TDP at all in Australia. I don't know, I might be wrong there, but no, I never looked for it, I suppose, but- um, No, we TDP, didn't get it. Yeah, okay. So the whole TDP thing was brand new to me a couple of weeks ago when I first heard about it on Facebook. Oh, TDP, what's that? And yeah, it was basically yeah. just rebranded Cocoa stuff that they sold in, in non-Radio Shack stores. So they were sold, I'm trying to remember who, who distributed those. I mean, Spectrum Products, Beer, Computer Shack. Um, but they, they had, yeah, they had deals with, oh, what the heck was it? One of the modern manufacturers, I think, sold them in some of their stores, RCA I, or something like that. I can't remember. I do know that the Radio Shack store managers were pissed because they had exclusive material, and now longer it was wasn't exclusive, mm, and okay. it it just wasn't you know the Coco line. There was some of the other computer lines that were being sold elsewhere, and you know if you could buy it anywhere, why would you come to a Radio Shack store and buy it? Is that why it was short lived or? I would think so. Um, towards the end of production like that, Radio Shack started taking more control over the stuff. In the beginning, it was Tandy was producing the product and then, of course, shipping into the stores. And then it was the store's responsibility to, set, to sell it. And later in the life, the stores started trying to take more control by sitting there denying product, saying, I don't want this here, you know, to carry this product because we can't sell it, you know. There wasn't a TDP oh. labeled Zaxxon, was there? Why would there be? Well, we <laughs> saw Polaris, didn't we? Yes, but that was a Tandy manufactured product opposed to a third party product. Okay. But I, uh, I just found that really interesting that they had the, all these relabeled for the extra hardware and some of the software too. Yeah. That, uh, I, I always thought it was just the joysticks and the, the computers themselves. Now well, it brings me to wondering, like, did they relabel printers and like the DMP yeah. 100 became the TDP 100 or something? Yeah, yeah it, 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 it was basically, you know, products that when you sold in another store, you couldn't have the name Radio Shack on it. Typically, if Tandy was on there, it was really small. And they were just hoping that people wouldn't relate Tandy to, to Radio Shack. 
and they could sell it elsewhere. But yeah, it was it was something that Tandy was doing to try and sell more product, and the Radio Shack stores didn't like it because they were competing against now other stores selling their product. Yeah, so basically it backfired on them in the exercise that, that, that yeah it failed, so they cut it off obviously. Yep. Yeah. Another thing I'll mention too, I do remember Rob Rosen talking about because he sold them as bundles uh, through Spectrum Projects for a while there. And he had mentioned that the TDP line was very strict on their pricing. So you weren't allowed to undercut the Radio Shack price. Like mm -hmm. if you wanted to have a sale or something, you weren't allowed to do that. So what he had to do is he would buy them and he'd do upgrades. He'd upgrade them to 64K and then throw in some extra you know, software that he'd sold on his own third-party stuff and then make a bundle out of that. But he'd have to pay Tandy the full price for the, the computer itself. So the, there was no way of getting discounts. So it wasn't a free market style thing for the, the people. They were still competing against Radio Shack. And if Radio Shack had a sale, they didn't get the matching one on the TDP from what I understood. No. And well, that's the thing is that most companies, when they put a product on sale, they discount or credit the retailer so that they can do the sale. But Tandy didn't do that. You, Whether you were selling the, the Color Computer 3 at 129 or 99, it still came in the door at that same price base for the 129. So stores like sales because it did help move merchandise, but at the same time, they lost money. Mm. Tandy never did. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there there was a lot of things that people questioned about Tandy and and their practices and like that. In any case, ooh, what do we got here, uh, uh, Curtis? Uh, Marco put this up. He did design some coffee cups with uh, Coca One keyboards, and basically it's an F board Coca One, but it, it cuts the picture off because you have to fit it on a coffee cup, um, at where basically the keyboard area ends, and then the raised part that has the air vents and you know the main circuit board underneath there. And it was interesting that there was a bit of conflict uh, if you go through the comments section of some people saying this is a bastardization because they cut the cocoa off and other people going, well, it's just, it, it, you can still recognize it's a cocoa one. Personally, I like the design. Mm -hmm. So do I, yeah. I'd rather have the keyboard bigger than try to squeeze the whole thing on. Yeah, because it would have yeah, been unreadable really. keys yeah. basically for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, when I first saw them, I thought that's, a, that's really neat. And then I read the comments and I thought, oh, what? <laughs> yeah, that's basically really, what I did too. There's really one or two people that were yeah. so are they for sale though that's the thing that we mm -hmm. haven't figured out like mm -hmm. you just need a taller mug yeah you just need one of those you know uh, what do they call them the grandes or whatever at uh, starbucks yeah. Yeah. hold more coffee yeah like like the, like the guinness of the coffee world <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it, it's a nice design i quite liked it oops that's yeah it's, it's, it's immediately obvious too. what it is i mean someone i think someone mentioned on there that it looked like a a, a model four a, a, sorry a model one um, with the wrong keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Because the Model 1 had the keyboard as a separate entity. But I didn't um, see that. I, I looked at it and I thought it's obvious what it was. But anyway, yeah. moving on. <laughs> yeah. What we got That's here, what, Curtis? This is uh, Bill Pierce. Now, Bill Pierce is famous in the OS9 world because he's a staunch Nitrous 9 guy. I mean, he wrote M Shell. He's the one who took over Ultimuse after Mike Knutson retired, uh, which is uh, the MIDI player for Nitrous 9. And uh, this is going back. He said he'd be back in the 80s. He'd done some basic and Edtasm programming, but he never really got into the Coco 3 graphics stuff. He kind of jumped to OS 9 you know, fairly early on when the Coco 3 came out. So this was his experiment of using 512K, and he took some stuff from the Jekyll and Hyde game on the Nintendo, took some of their tile maps, et cetera, 
and then he's not doing anything fancy with or not doing time maps within his own program. Basically, he just has this pre-rendered scene. He loads up basically you know nine screens worth of data, and then just has pokes in basic to move it back and forth. So there's no assembly language code in here except to poke the MMU to let you load on all this stuff. And I think it's four disks full of data. Hmm. So I'll skip the loading part because that gets pretty boring. But this is just showing in basic, just doing pokes to do the offset of where in memory it's, it's displaying the screen from. Um, so he's actually got, you know, pretty decent speed for doing this. And he's got this all pre-rendered in there. So, I mean, you could write a fairly simple game on this if you patch basic to be able to know where the screen has moved on you. Um, but it was just interesting to see Bill, for me personally, the most interesting thing this wasn't the graphics demo itself, but the fact that Bill's actually fiddling with RSDOS stuff because he's normally a pretty staunch Nitro Sun guy, even more than me. So Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, possible. See, the things you can't do in OS 9. <laughs> well, actually, with the TFM, it's fast enough I could probably duplicate this, but anyway. <laughs> We're going to get the Curtis drinking game going one of these yeah. days. That's going to be like the uh, the the challenge from CERCOMP when they brought out Window Master because they had that big full-page ad in Rainbow saying you don't have to be an OS 9 rocket scientist to be able to do you know overlapping movable windows. And then Kevin Darling, when he wrote his little history of the version three upgrade that unfortunately never got released because Tandy canceled the Coco too fast. He said, he said, ha, I gritted my teeth. You want to see easy to use overlapping windows. And that's when they wrote the version three upgrade. So maybe this will get me off my ass to do some, you know, fancier stuff on NitroSign graphics too. Probably not. Um, <laughs> I get too much other stuff. Uh, Simon Jonasson, uh, fresh back from the, his Coco 3 demo here, did another demo and he took a Wario character and he does a, a real-time animation. So this is not using get put buffers or anything with pre-rendered. This is re-rendering the image in real time. And this is not optimized. It was just basically to get it to work. So that's doing a 16 color rotation in real time, not optimized. So I just thought it was a pretty cool, interesting uh, little graphical demo. It's pretty cool getting it to do that in, to re-render, re you know, that, that it's not actually, you know, no get puts or anything there. It's actually rendering it. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, it, the rendering is just not simple rendering. You're talking about doing signs, code sign, uh, mm -hmm. mathematical computations to figure out where to plot the, uh, the stuff. That is not easy to do because there mm. is no math coprocessor on the Coco. Yeah, mm -hmm. I had seen this done before with wireframe graphics. Like there was a demo in Hot Coco that had a... Uh, a wireframe you could do up to 26 points 26 lines actually did three-dimensional space in that case but it would just rotate the wireframe and the speed wasn't too much bigger you know greater than this and this is now doing 16 color graphics which just takes a lot more memory to move around what i'd like to see them do is release the program that does this so they can prove to everybody that this is an actual coco doing it and not something that was rendered somewhere else yeah, he does have a little clip of the code there below, which is I think it's one of the sine and cosine tables actually. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, the data table there. But yeah, and, um, speaking of somebody that's done a lot of math in a lot of other places, this is not easy to do. Yeah, and this is some something I've never learned to do. This is something I, you know, if I had more time free for learning new things instead of just optimizing all the old ones, I'd love to learn to do this kind of stuff. But uh, hopefully someday. Yeah. Speaking Living of, up for his namesake reputation there. Yeah. <laughs> now speaking <laughs> speaking of things that you want for a modern uh, modern day computers for your Coco and like that, eh, math coprocessor would be nice, but uh, that's more of a pipe dream of mine. Well, but as I mentioned before, the uh, 
the Coco proc board that Jim Brain's doing because it's got two yeah. six three oh nines running at four megahertz. I mean, one, you do have hardware divides and you do have some other math functions, extra registers too. Yep. So there's some more math there, but you're also running at double the clock speed. And if you upload the programs properly to the two and they can split, you know, say, you know, some like some of the old interlaced video cards like the Voodoo's did where, you know, they'd render half the screen each. Right. You'd be sending the data to them and they just do it simultaneously. You could do that with the Coco Proc and actually have those two processors do two halves of the screen too simultaneously at four megahertz. Yeah. So that, I wouldn't quite the, call the, it a pipe the only, dream. The only problem is getting the uh, data out of that card into the Coco for the uh, uh, gimme to display it. That's the kicker. So yeah, you'd have to have some sort of like um, like the streaming function on the SDC where you have a you know once you go, you send a signal saying I've, I've got everything rendered now I'm going to start jamming it out this one or two byte. Mm -hmm. IO port and you just start reading bytes as fast as you can because I'm going to have the next byte or next word ready for you right after you grab the previous one then you can have it fairly quickly. See if we could add the math coprocessors to the um, Coco memory board well then we really got something. Yeah I mean then you could run the CPLDs which have you know full floating point libraries and stuff built in and running at 25 megahertz then you could do some wicked stuff. Yep. Of course then you get the semantics of that really a Coco anymore but the boomerang three. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, very interesting. Yep. <laughs> and this here, uh, our own Ron Delvaux actually found a couple of interesting articles in the Tier City Microcomputer News September 1982 issue. Now, this is a little magazine that covered all the Tier Cities that Tandy put out for free, basically. You'd sign up for a subscription. Um, and they would send this, I think it was every couple months, it wasn't monthly. And it was like 48 pages. And they had stuff on the Coco and the Model 1, the Model 3, the Model 4, the Model 2, et cetera. And he found a couple Coco related ones in here. And the first one here, apparently, in, um, I don't remember what, uh, yeah, Mississippi had this uh, educational show they were doing, a TV show called Figure Out, which is the Avengers of Alice, a young computer whiz, and then Alice's business partner named Mac. And this is years before the Mac came out, uh, which actually was a Tier the color computer as part of the body of this, you know, robot style thing. So I'll just kick over here so you can kind of see it better. Mm -hmm. And it was basically to teach math in, in, in sort of a, an entertaining way and also involve the Coco as, as, a, as a guest star on the show. I've never seen the show. I don't know if anybody in the panel has ever seen the show or even heard of it before. I had this issue of Tears of the Microcomputers back in the day. I don't remember this article off the top of my head, but uh, has anybody else ever heard or seen the show? Mm -mm. I contacted the um, group that did this, and uh, the person involved with the archives is on vacation till the third. Then they're going to get back to me. Oh, cool! Yeah, it'd be interesting to get yeah. some of the backstory on it. Either cause... video or um, stills of when they did it would be cool. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interesting to see. It. Like I, yeah. I, the, the the description they have in the, in the microcomputer news article is mentioning that it's. It's a show for not teaching just computers or something. It's to teach math and how to make that entertaining enough for a kid to want to watch. I, I really want to see this show. Maybe it'll teach me how to use cosine and cosine to do rotation. <laughs> <laughs> that won't be very productive. You get the same answer every time. Go yeah. Pick up trigonometry for dummies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd have to be for blathering idiots in my case. I'd have to go below <laughs> the dummies level. But <laughs> That wasn't an insult, Colin, by the way. And this is a second article from that same magazine, the same issue that Ron also found. And it's uh, View from the Seventh Floor, which is a column that John Shirley, the uh, vice president of uh, computer merchandising, um, 
semi-regularly. I don't think they had it every issue, if I remember correctly, but um, they had you know articles from several of the high ups at Tandy kind of explaining things. And this was concerning the cocoa market and um, John's kind of take and answering some questions that a lot of readers had sent in about you know what is the status of the cocoa, what is the status of you know hardware, is it being you know limited to being marketed as a games machine, which I think there's some truth to it, which uh, John disagrees with, but um, he has some valid points in there. So he's mentioning, you know, that, you know, people realized that the Cocoa had a 6809 in it, which was the most powerful liquid processor. And he, you know, they were saying, you know, this could be doing so much more than, you know, playing just game cartridges type thing. And he goes in and mentions, you know, we, we do have some hardware for it. There's like hard drive or floppy drives and stuff. And uh, mentioning the fact that uh, in bench, some benchmarks, it was like matching or beating an IBM PC at the time. Um, and this was a year after the computer was released. Two years, right. but yeah. 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 Maybe but at the two. time, I mean, the Commodore 64 wasn't, I don't think, out yet. So this is competing with the VIC-20 and stuff. And he actually mentions near the bottom of the first column there. And frankly, I think 32 by 16 beats 23 by 22. There we which go. I, which the, the Commodore's uh, VIC-20's level. I uh, oh, remember. was a bit in extended basic and you know how that was much better. And then he actually, one thing that surprised me is he actually mentioned the rainbow by name, because right. back then they were very protective of their own stuff. They would just mention, at least at the stores here, they'd mention Tier City Microcomputer News if you asked for a magazine to help support the Cocoa, which might have had one or two Cocoa-related articles in the entire magazine. And in Canada, especially, they didn't like mentioning the third-party magazines at all. They wouldn't even, like, I think in the States, you guys got, with some of the Cocoa 3s, you even got little uh, flyers and stuff inside the box of how to subscribe to Rainbow and mentioning what Rainbow is, and we didn't get that up here. Yeah, we would definitely they, get their subscription cards. Yeah. Well, back in or the yep. day, we were talking about VIC-20. Um, a friend of mine had a VIC-20 uh, days before the Commodore 64, and I had the, the um, my Coco 1. And, uh, yeah, I remember, you know, back then, I was, uh, my main use of the Coco 1, and always has been, is, 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 has been a programmer rather than a gamer. Um, so I was really curious about what the VIC-20 was capable of doing programming-wise. And it was like, oh, this... <laughs> The, the, the things that you could do on the on, on a Coco One in one line, it, it'd take you like ten or twelve lines, even in basic, to do on a yep. on a Vic Twenty. And those like, were all pokes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Co extended color basic was light years ahead of the Vic Twenty. Yep. Then the Commodore sixty four came along, and it was real competition. You know, there was some 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 genuine competition there, but the Vic Twenty and the and the Coco One were they were light years apart. Yeah. Any and other when, when, any when, other highlights from that article? Uh, one I wanted to mention, um, like people were asking about, you know, getting real quote unquote software instead of just entertainment software. And he goes, as far as software in general is concerned, it is not all ROM packs. Example, the three cassette adventure games, but well, they're still games. It is not all games. Example, scripts at Spectacular Learning Lab, which was a very good thing for learning to program the computer. And he actually, this was something I found rare from Radioshack admitting that they were, you know, not firing on all cylinders. He says, I will be the first to admit the disk software is late. But it is in the works and spectacular inscripts it with software upper and lower case will soon be out followed by many more so i thought that was rather interesting was there anything you saw in here steve that you wanted to mention or no no um anyways what do you what else do you got for us next up some some guy named nick i think his name is um, <laughs> no we've never heard of him yeah. some always <laughs> freak 
Yeah, some OS9 <laughs> freak, yeah. Is doing some sidebar project with some game that doesn't require Nitrous 9. I don't know what's wrong with them, but... Uh... Oh, so this one works, does it? <laughs> <laughs> it does have a fancy loader, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> and this one has got to be the shortest article. You just saw the whole thing, right? Well, there. I'm getting um, good at doing uh, the uh, video blogs. I figure a video blog, a video is worth a thousand words, so save my typing. <laughs> so i'll actually pop in the video oh, you're gonna play it, is the sound okay. showing up on your guys side uh not not yet no it's not, not okay then, then let's see you didn't share the i think sound. you have to share this yeah share sound I'm trying to remember where that is here I haven't done this oh, well, he's an hour's nine guy so <laughs> <laughs> well, i'd be multitasking and doing sound at the same time didn't, automatically didn't, that didn't was you the put case. the driver in first <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the same place where you shared the screen. Not the bottom. Ah, oh, there we are. You gotta tell it to use the IPL3 chip. Oh jeez. <laughs> uh uh operating Gunstar video blog titles. The aliens take flight. Is the sound coming through now? Yes. 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 Okay. I, I don't know if you want me to run the whole thing as three, almost four minutes. Yeah, why not? Okay. We'll, we'll cut it off. It gets too boring. Okay. Just wave <laughs> at me or something here. because <laughs> We support each other in this community, obviously. Yeah. Was, the I've sound for this is coming through my headphones a lot louder than all of you guys. So I, I might not be able to hear you if you tell me to, you know, we're bored. We're falling asleep type thing. <laughs> just four wave minutes out of three hours isn't bad. Yeah. Apparently I snore loud, so. I'm Last chapter, I mentioned that I put the support in for the NTSC composite palettes. So what I did is I put a prompt just before the game starts asking you for RGB or composite. I've removed that and instead I've put the, uh, it, it boots in RGB mode and by pressing the F1 key, it will toggle between composite and RGB color sets. So now people with composite screens will see fairly accurate colors on their monitors. Okay, and next I'll show you the level map editor that I wrote in uh, BASIC running on a Coco 3. Um, the main thing I've added to the map editor is the um, ability to actually tell the program when to launch an alien, which alien, and what flight path it should take. And they're symbolized by the red dots that you see on the, on the screen. At that point of, this, of the map, when it displays that map, it'll launch a certain alien with a certain flight path. And now we finally get to the aliens in flight. So here you can see a few of the aliens just buzzing around. There's no collisions or anything, so nothing can kill me. Um, the program is um, coded to handle up to 10 of them, although I've had 20 sprites moving around, all properly uh, superimposed over the background, animated. So it's working quite well. Um, Soon, what I'll do is I'll just launch uh, all 10, and you can see 
that the screen fills with aliens and probably at that point the game if they were shooting as well uh, at me um, it would be quite a hard game with so many aliens congesting the screen that way but um, I was just testing it to see what it could handle so they should be coming out any second now there we go there's a whole lot of aliens, about 10 sprites um, buzzing around and they eventually fly off the screen. Currently in this demo you'll only see three of the uh, uh, aliens that I've programmed in there. Uh, the other two which will appear in the later levels, I'll leave those as a, a secret for people who buy the game and they can explore or discover those for themselves and what they do. Um, that's about all for this uh, segment. So next is to define a few more of the alien flight paths and add the aliens firing and add collision detection. So it starts becoming a, a more challenging uh, game. So till next time. And there you have it. No OS9 was used for this program. <laughs> I think you should ship that as the Black Beauty edition for those of us that, that, that should be the Stevie Stroh edition where the aliens don't fire back so you can actually yeah, yeah. I can't name Stevie Stroh anymore because I'm having problems with Pulsar Pilot so I have to be more uh, tactful there no, well you're, you're, you're trying to do it on a Black Beauty though and I've tried that and it's, it's almost <laughs> impossible Yeah, it looks awesome it was a great vlog entry it was interesting now back to Nitrous 9 and real operating systems. So. <laughs> oh, look, they're still playing with Pong. Jeez. <laughs> oh. Anyway, the, 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 the only thing I wanted to update here is that uh, Bill Noble, now there's a, one little bug he's found, and it's unique to the Matchbox port, so he's just trying to hunt down what it is. Some of the background screens, if you're doing a partial window that only fills part of a screen, it's putting stripes in the background instead of a solid color. So I think it's just a, a you know a code translation thing that got buggered up, but basically the Matchbox, which is uh, Roger Taylor's FPGA style Coco compatible uh, hardware device, um, Bill has written special versions of the graphics driver that actually handles 80 by 50 and 80 by 60 hardware tech screens that run natively under your OS 9 stuff. So you can actually run text editors and stuff, and they actually will run fully normally. Um, so he made a special release of the Beta 4 release too. Uh, that actually has that support built in for the Matchbox and also supports everything else. So it plays all the same games that emulates a Mega RAM, et cetera. I, think, I don't think it supports two Mega RAM at this point, but that's a limitation of the Matchbox itself. But for those of you who have the Matchbox, um, you can actually get the Nitrous 9 Ease of Use Beta 4 with the extra hardware text modes built in too. And there's plans on it later adding in you know, extended palette support and stuff as well. So it will be kind of like a Gimme X style thing. Somebody's nice. breathing awful hard. You're just excited about nitrous. Yeah, it's like yeah. with hardware. <laughs> what else do you got for us, Curtis? Uh, Alan Huffman has got a few things for sale. He's been um, trying to get some money because he's he's been jobless for a while. Uh, I think since the end of last year. So he's been selling off. He's got a bunch of T-shirts from Coco Fest and stuff that uh, have never been worn. He used to buy like bundles of them. So he's got some here. I'll just kind of go through them quick so you can kind of see them better. So this is from the seventh annual uh, Coco Fest in Elgin from 1998 with the polar bear theme. Uh, he's got several of those different sizes. Here's one from the, I think this is the first or the second Coco Fest ever held. 
This is back when uh, Coco Pro was still sponsoring it just after Rainbow got out of it. Um, and this is one I'm partial to because this is one Frank Hogg sold to promote the TC9 and the Tiger uh, boards. And the shirt on one side said, some days I'm a Tomcat. And on the back side, it said, some days I'm a Tiger, which of course can be taken with sexual innuendo and everything else too. So it was kind of a cool shirt. <laughs> um, in fact, I, I liked it so much, I wore mine out and I had to throw it out because it turned into a rag basically. So I was, I was tempted to get this myself, but uh, just some just some cool stuff because it's historical stuff and um, and probably hard to find these days. And then along the same line, he's selling some hardware as well. So the first up here is the Canton R2 Dual Compact. So this has two 6551s, so you can run two ports. So if you wanted to run a serial mouse and you wanted to run a modem, this is the perfect board because it only just used one slot to do so. And mm -hmm. it comes with the documentation, etc. If you guys are interested, contact Alan on Facebook. And then the last one he had up here is the Canton SCSI interface. And this includes an earlier version of RGB DOS. Now, one thing that was unique about this SCSI is that it fully supported the master-slave part of, of SCSI. Most of the SCSI boards at the time did not. So basically, the other boards, you could hook up multiple drives to a Coco. This one actually allowed you to hook one hard drive to multiple Cocos. And he actually demonstrated this. Roger Krupski, who did the hardware here, was at the show demonstrate. He had Coco 1s and 2s running OS9 Level 1 with his driver. And he had one SCSI drive in the middle, and he had two of these cartridges going to two different Cocos, and they were accessing the same hard drive at the same time. Which That's is kind pretty of, cool. Yeah, which you, I mean, you can kind of do with DriveWire now too, I, from what I understand, but uh, to do it back in the 80s, even with Coco Ooh. 1 and 2 level hardware, that was pretty impressive. And this is uh, Brian Palmer, a fellow Aussie of... Uh, Nick Morantes, he's just starting to learn a semi language and Simon's been helping him. So he got his first demo of getting a sprite moving across the screen on a Coco 3 graphics mode. I mean, you know, compared to something like Gunstar, this isn't that impressive from a technical standpoint, but the, the fact that he's learning this stuff and, 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 and sharing with Simon, or Simon sharing with him how to do this and getting somebody else to learn a semi language. It's, you know, potentially within a year or two, maybe he'll be cranking out games even better than Nick. We'll have to see. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty cool. That's really encouraging. Yeah. And I'm, 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 one of the reasons I wanted to show it is, is, is to encourage other people. There's a lot of us here who will help you learn this kind of stuff, whether you want to learn, you know, language graphics or how to do sound routines or to do stuff in OS 9 or, or, or even in basic for that matter. There's a lot of resources. There's a lot of friendly people in the community that will help you with this kind of stuff. So just feel free to ask. And there you can see some advancement. And Brian, he's only been doing this for a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. And this is Eric Canales. If you guys were at the fest here at the beginning of the month, you probably saw Eric running around with an actual Polaroid camera, which is the ones that has the, uh, you know, instantly prints out the pictures and then you'll watch the picture fade in over a couple of minutes and he took a bunch of Polaroids. He didn't catch everybody to show. He missed me entirely. I think that was on purpose. Um, <laughs> and he got you know most people to sign them if he had a chance to and remembered to. So you'll see a lot of signatures, but there's a lot of the pictures of the people that are at the fest. And I won't, I won't go clicking through them all. You guys can just hit it up from the Facebook link. But uh, it's kind of cool to get some other shots of, of using an even more retro technology than the Coco to take the photos. Interesting, you can still get Polaroid film. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Eric was mentioning where he was getting it, and I can't remember if it was in, in North America it's, or somewhere uh, else. No, I think it comes from the Netherlands. I asked him about no, that. It's, it's the dark uh, web. Dark web. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's a European manufacturer, and they're uh, it's like uh, Polaroid Retro or something. There, anyway, there's a company that's making new film. It's new stock. And okay, uh, I'll zoom them one up, and since Mark has actually done his explanation, we'll make it him. Mm -hmm. Ah, yeah, yeah. I did ask him about it. So it's like, did you find like new stock or using really old stuff? He said, oh, it's all brand new. So yeah, it's well, there, very cool actually. So, yep. Retro photos at a retro computer show. How could it be any more perfect? Is that a Sega oh, controller I see? Uh, yeah, it might be. Oh, that's, that's a, a clone one. Yeah, I got a pair of those for $10 on Amazon. And I was using it with the Paragon. For the Paragon? Yeah, cool. Yep. And the, and the, and David Ladd's mouse adapter. You see where my, you see where my mind is right now on gaming. <laughs> Sorry, Curtis. Well, mouse adapter works on Nitrous 9, too, because we were testing that. Um, oh, yes. On these works beautifully. Works beautifully. You sign your name like a professional. Of course. Can't I am a professional. <laughs> and I know somebody wants me to start programming, so that's why I said sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know some people were asking, I think it was David Lord was asking in the chat on YouTube here about uh, the WordPack 2 Plus, which we mentioned on the last show, and he's, he's been working out the bugs. like he, mm -hmm. And now he's got it, so the, the, the display is actually showing up properly, but it's jumping around a bit, so we still got some tweaks to do. Um, he's got two videos he released this last week with updates. Uh, this first one here, I won't play the whole thing. Um, right, folks. But we are going to test here that he's uh, the World Pack Two Plus. I'll just, you know, here's the actual hook up the board. GS eight two hundred here, and that is converting the RGB signal to the VGA monitor there. Now I'll fast forward a bit more. So he runs a program, and basically, there's some grayish garbage that's in the background, but you can watch little stripes of color going across the top. Now this is a 256 color mode running. So you actually will see. We're basically starting to see some color bars or color lines being built at, at the top of the screen. Hopefully you can see that. Um, slowly but surely we get the whole screen feather feel. Um, the pattern you see on the other part of the screen is basically the um, rubbish data that was on the VDP um, uh, video memory when the card was booted. So basically he's got this little demo where he's just poking into this this external card that has 128k of video RAM on it and supports higher res and higher colors than, than the Coco 3 is normally capable of doing. And that was a demonstration of it running and he's actually got the Coco off to the side still running its own gimme based uh, graphics as well. So it's actually doing these simultaneously. So it's actually two independent displays, which I think is really cool because we haven't had that since the original word pack, which was just a hardware text card. And then he's got another update video here. He's actually showing some of the text modes between the two. Right, folks. Uh, this is just another demo for the board, WordPack 2 Plus. Um, and this is a demo program that Coco Demos had made. Like a, a uh, it basically card, it co configures the card to actually card. display an 80-column uh, screen. Um, and he actually hacked Color Basic to output the uh, prompt on both displays. So whatever I type here appears there as well and appears here as well, which is nice, right? Um, but as you can see, we are basically trying to run, I just want to compare the eight, eight, 80 column mode from the Coco with the standard on Coco 3 with the one on the card. And you see, you know, it's a nice display, very readable, uh, very sharp actually, compared to the Coco 3. 
Um, anyway, I think it's a matter of preference only, but both are very readable. Uh, remember, I'm using here the S-Video output from uh, our friend uh, Ed. Um, and, uh, and this display now is displaying in S-Video, while this one is displaying in VGA, even though I'm using this, uh, you know, crazy uh, converter here. Um, but nonetheless, usable. If it wasn't for the flicker and the jumping, it would be quite nice. Um, this one, quite nice as well. Uh, but I'll let you guys uh, compare and discuss. Thank you. Bye. So anyway, the cool thing about this is that it's it one it gives you this this board by the way works on Cocoa ones and twos too. So the you know the two hundred fifty six color graphics mode you saw earlier, the eighty column mode you saw now on the right hand monitor, you can do this on a Cocoa one and two as well or a Dragon. Um, the nice thing about this though is that they're completely independent of each other because there's one hundred twenty k video RAM on board on this board that he's, he's doing, as well as whatever you got built in the Cocoa one, two, or three you're running. So you can actually have completely independent displays running simultaneously both with graphics. One with text, one with graphics, both with text, it doesn't matter. Um, so there's some incredible things you could do, like a multiplayer head-to-head -head game, for example, you could actually do some pretty wicked stuff with this. And I've, from last week, I mentioned the fact that it has 256 color mode. I think it actually has a 16-bit color mode. The graphics go up to like, I think it was like 512 by 512 or something like that in 16 colors or something. It, so It should have sprites as well, if I recall. It does have hardware sprites. It's got yep. uh, 32 sprites total, up to eight per line, scan line. This is... This is the 99 uh, Yamaha 9958, which is the same thing yeah. used MSX2 computers. So. MSX2, yeah. 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 So it's pretty, pretty skookum. Rather. So is that MSX2? That'd be the the the, the follow one from the likes of the CX uh, CX5M music computer. Is that sort of? Yeah, that was MSX1. Yeah. But I mean, for people that have been asking for sprites and better quality graphics and stuff here. I mean, on the Cocoa 3, it's 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 a good jump past it, especially with the hard Sprite hardware, but graphics-wise, it's not completely out of the league. But for a Cocoa 1 and 2, I mean, this is another option besides the Cocoa VJ to get you know a lot of extra things out of it. And I don't see any reason you couldn't run both. You could have the Cocoa VJ because that's installed in the Cocoa itself. And then you could have this as an external card if you want to do the high-res graphics stuff with sprites and stuff in addition to. So you could, once again, simultaneous displays, you could have a 64-column mode for editing code on the actual Coco VJ and then you could have this running you know a sprite based game you're writing or something so just add a sound chip on that and that's a complete game cartridge like a real game cartridge game cartridge cartridge update mm. yeah yeah it's almost getting the point like Nintendo was uh, a lot of the NES cartridges that they were releasing they had a 6502 running like three times faster and math co-processors and new video display generators. It was kind of weird. You buy a, you're buying the game cartridge, you're buying a whole new computer. Yeah. Yep. It's like the supercharger on the Atari 2600 where they added extra RAM and stuff on it too. Yeah. What would have been good with that design if they did do it as a generic um, video chip and sound chip, then all the games that you could write, you, you wouldn't have to keep buying the cartridge uh, mm -hmm. for every game like you do currently with the game master cartridge you buy that one game cartridge and that's it software then can be written to use that cartridge so yeah, right. your software you still have to get cheap. some sort of a multi-pack device of some sort of course but yeah you still need the multi-pack though mm -hmm. well that's part of the idea of jim's uh, pass-through you get the sound chips 
and you can plug in your SDC or floppy disk controller into that. So, yeah, pass-through adapters are good too. Yeah, it's definitely cheaper than buying even the, the current multi-pack, the two-slot or the Mega Mini. Yeah. You got anything else for us? Oh, yeah, I got a few yet. Uh, okay. Terry Steege mentioned this one. This is a picture of his home office, as he called it, when he was about 14. <laughs> I was a 14-year-old by the, uh, the poster he has. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but this was his Coco 2 system back in the day with the Gemini dot matrix printer and the Radio Shack joysticks. Even he has a dust cover on it hooked up to a TV set instead of a monitor. So kind of and nostalgic. And yeah. Yeah, mentioned You mentioned somewhere in there that the desk caught fire at one point or something. I think in the article we mentioned that. Yeah, he said, um, uh, what did he say? The best thing about this picture in the desk, which was a project I'd made for my dad, even had a keyboard switch built in, and it turned on the power for the whole desk, just like in Superman 3, <coughs> well, until it caught on fire. <laughs> while I was there and it didn't burn the house down. Feeling nostalgic. Well, with that post in the front, it got pretty hot. <laughs> I wonder if he means the switch caught fire or did the desk catch fire? I have no idea. Maybe Ooh. I wired it because that's the type of stuff that happened to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that makes me feel so much better. And this, this was also discussed one. both in the comments and on Discover. For those who haven't seen it, uh, Ron had put some pictures up of two versions of Zaxxon, both the official ones with different splash screens. One which basically has the plain text and one that actually has the Sega logo from the arcade game. And I thought since Steve is the author of it, he can explain the difference and what that signifies. Like what, what is the difference? Why is there two different versions? Well, you know, um, when you're developing a game, you don't have a lot of time and you got to get it out. And one of the things that got uh, removed from the first release of the game was the fancy graphic of Zaxxon. And uh, when we had time to write a version 1.1, Guess what got included? The fancy graphic of Zaxxon, you know, Zaxxon logo. So that's as simple as that. Nothing really uh, unusual other than that. But we were rushing to get this thing ready for uh, uh, the West Coast Computer Fair. Now, the, the, the original version that has the plain text one, is that the one that Datasoft itself sold independently? Uh, we sold both of them independently. It's oh, just, okay. Yeah, it's just that, you know, I had a after uh, we went to the cons um, the West Coast Computer Fair, I had time to come back and do a couple of changes or improvements there. And I think there was even a slight change in the gameplay because some people discovered if they went to a particular corner when you're flying through space, you'd never get hit. Well, yes. I had to fix yes. that. Yes, cool. I remember that. <laughs> and I remember in Z89, you fixed it by throwing them stupid comments at you. Yep. That was good uh, for bathroom breaks. <laughs> but um, yeah, but that that's it. Nothing, no big deal. It's just a simple thing, you know. Sometimes you get more time. See, with uh, software like disk and cassette, well, especially disk, you're able to come up with improvements and change the production line. With ROM cartridges, not so much because you got to produce so many. Yeah. You had to make sure those were debugged before they went out. Oh, yeah. But not like today where you're buying beta versions of your games and then you have to download a huge. And this, this is an interesting one from um, 
new member Tom Barber, he picked up at a flea market at MIT of all places, a Coca one that's been just literally hacked to pieces here. Let's see if I can zoom these up here. <clears throat> He's even got one of the keyboard overlays here, and I couldn't quite read what that was for. I don't know if any of the rest of you saw that or not. But he's got a bunch of switches and stuff you can see on the right-hand side, and even a dial wheel, um, which I've not seen used before. And here's a zoom-up of that particular. He's even got dip switches on the side and on the top. <clears throat> and he's been going through trying to figure out what all this stuff does, and I think he's, he's figured out a couple of things. One of the switches is actually a halt switch, but it kind of works in reverse. You hold it down, and the computer um, runs normally. When you let go, it halts. So I'm not oh, sure if it's trying right. to look for hardware or if it was meant as a sort of a reverse halt switch. Because I remember halt switches back in the day. Dead man switch. Dead man switch. There you go. Yeah. Because <laughs> I remember back in the day that I, several people had the halt switch tied to the halt line on the CPU. And you would literally just pause the 6809 in state. So like Nick was saying, a bathroom break playing a game. You just hit that. The game freezes dead. You go off and do your thing and come back. <clears throat> but some of these other switches, he has no idea what these do. Do you guys remember a, a template that went over the keyboard back in the day for a particular software program? There was several. Key 264 mm -hmm. had one. Um, I think Art Gallery by Steve. Did you do that one? I can't remember. Not Art Gallery, but yeah. Oh, it was, yeah it, basically, it was back in the original days of the Coco 1 because you could do that. With the Coco 2 and later, not so much. Yeah, because there's no gap between the keys to put anything on. Exactly. Well, that, so that was uh, one advantage of the Chiclet keyboard because a lot of people complain about the Chiclet keyboard for typing, but this is one advantage it did have. You could do these overlays. There wasn't there a um, stickers you can put on some of the top tall keys uh, on a particular. Yeah, but the problem of putting the stickers on is they wore off. Mm. Yeah, most of these are little plastic sheets that you just lay yeah. over top the keyboard, and there were some done by Radio Shack and there were some done by third parties. So. Mm -hmm. Usually graphics editors and, and keyboard editors and stuff would do that. So you could remember what all these keys did in the program. That would be a rare item to find now. I wonder if that uh, Coco's got a hardware audio output and maybe that dial on the sides of volume control for it. It's labeled F and S though. I asked him if that was like a fast slow, like maybe it does overclocking or something. Oh, he said, no, that doesn't okay. seem to make a difference. So I have no idea. No, the only thing he's going to have to do is just open up and find out. I think he did later on, and, and the inside did not help whatsoever. Um, let me see if we get to find that here. Well, he needs a hardware person to take a look at it. Oh, yeah, here we are. Let's see what's wide. Oh, okay, there is a photo. He's got little bits and pieces all, all custom drilled into the side of the case. You can see the top part of the case is on the right hand side of the photo, and the uh, left side is the bottom part with the keyboard. Got a little yeah. circuit board. Wow. Maybe Paul yeah. Barton could tell us. <laughs> looks like, looks, uh, I wonder if it's just sitting under the keyboard or whether it's wired. And you can see it's wired directly to the cartridge port and then it's okay, wired to the reset right. button. And that Coco was obviously doing something very custom. Yeah. Very specific. And it does look like his, his keyboard overlay, like it's, it's, it's hand labeled. Uh, unlike some other ones, but it kind of reminds me of Key 264 because it was basically a shortcut for doing keywords like the MC10 has, where you'd hit, you know, clear or a certain key plus another key and it would print to the like, entire command. Like yeah, because he's got stuff here like uh, skip F, del, L list as built in commands with certain keys. This stuff wired directly to the, to the uh, motherboard there, too, at the back behind the cartridge port. Looks like yeah. it. 
but there's just a ton of modifications. I've never seen a Cocoa One this heavily modified for switches and dip switches and dials and everything else. So it's, yeah. it's fairly unique, yeah. whatever it was doing. Mm -hmm. Anything else for us, Curtis? Uh, yeah, I'm narrowing it down here. So I'll try to get these through a little bit quicker. Um, this is uh, Alan Badiger, who we've had on the show. He's the guy who, who currently has the IP for microware and is actually selling OS 9000 and OS 9. And he got permission from Innovation Systems for OmniBasic, which was a Basic 9 style language, not exactly the same. It was based on the OSK version of, of uh, Basic 9, but it's a compiler written by a guy named Michael Smith. He used to have his own company called Computer Design Lab. In fact, we had his OS 9000 version of this way back in work in the 90s. Later, it became cross-platform for uh, Unix and Linux with X Windows and with uh, Windows itself and OS 2 Warp. Um, and originally it was a text-based version of it. It just basically did text mode type stuff. And then later on, on the version two and up, it actually added GUI support for X Windows and Windows NT slash 95, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, which actually we, we used to work too. And it added full GUI support, it added database support in 2.2. And uh, Mike Smith was a really friendly guy. I used to talk to him because we were part of his beta testing team for the Windows version of it and the OS 9000 version of it. So we would send stuff back and forth. And we used to have conversations on Friday nights for hours, uh, just talking about the computer industry in general, or OS 9, or Cocos, not so much Cocos, because he, he just toyed with it a little bit in the early days, but he was on to OSK and OS 9000 later on. And he, he'd found out uh, after version 2.2, because he'd been trying to sell the cross-platform Linux and Unix version of it, and he found out that Linux people don't like paying for programs that much. They're used to stuff <laughs> <for> free. <Yeah. laughs> So he decided to ditch that. And he was actually like, basically the way it worked is it would compile to C and you'd install GNU C++ or C or whatever on your machine. It would compile to C and then run the C compiler automatically to produce the final resulting program. So he was uh, he was starting to rewrite the entire thing. So to order straight to assembly and just for Windows. And he'd sent me the very first alpha, which was very incomplete. It, it didn't do all the commands. It had bugs and everything else, but he did send it to me. And then literally within days of that, he died of a heart attack. And everything stopped. And his brother, uh, who's somewhat involved with uh, animation systems, was trying to see if he could get somebody else to carry it on, but that never happened. And Amer animation systems, apparently, when Alan got a hold of him, is now releasing the whole thing, source code and all. And it's written in itself. OmniBasic, from version 1.2 something on, was written in itself. Um, and I still use a, an earlier version of OmniBasic for Windows, the 2.1 version I still use for my work stuff, just because I have so much code written in it, it's just easier to use it. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not exactly the same as Basic 9, uh, but it's similar enough that it's a very easy transition. There's a few little things you got to worry about. But mm -hmm. anyway, the source code's there. If anybody wants to go get it, there's documentation. Um, I've actually got a copy of the actual printed manual from Animation Systems from the 2.1 version that shows you how to do all the GUI stuff. Um, but now that it's free for everybody, I, I think of people that like Basic 9 will definitely like it and will have fun fiddling with it on modern systems. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why that's there. This was a quick little bit in the Dragon users group. They were showing some of the uh, joysticks and mice from back in the day for the Dragon. Now, the two on the right, you recognize the color mouse and the uh, Black Beauty joystick. And I think of quite a few have seen the lower left one, because uh, that was a fairly popular Dragon. But the other two I'd never seen before, um, not having a Dragon. But there's some pretty unique designs there for uh, joysticks, especially that gray one in the bottom middle. That one I'd never seen anything even similar to that before. I don't know if any rest of the panel has. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the one that's on the bottom left. That's kind of nice. Yeah, and we had a few of those at the fest too, if I remember. Some people had those. That gray one looks like it's meant to clip onto something. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with that one. I've never seen that one before. I've seen all the other ones before, and I've seen quite a few of the lower left ones, but that Jet Gray one, I had not seen that design. Um, Retro Arcade Gaming, who we've had on the show a few times, and he's actually mentioned us in the past, is actually doing his current time pilot, and Color Fury made the cut from the Cocoa side as a clone. I won't play the thing here, because you can just look up his uh, thing here, but uh, he mentions the fact that it actually has digitized speech in it, which is uh, you know, fairly unique at that time, because this came out in 83, I think, from Computer Shack before it became Mictron. So uh, he goes in, he, he does a comparison between various platforms, official ones as well as unofficial ports or clones mm -hmm. so i can't i keep an eye on there because once we introduced him to coco he's actually been doing uh, trying to do coco if there's coco versions available for just about everything he's done since since then would like to probably get it on the show a little bit later on too again i had the tokai fair yeah uh ben drakes who we've also had in the show before because he's he's the guy that does this uh, vr thing based out of england and then flies to the states occasionally to do demos and stuff um, and he's done ports of uh, Daggereth and uh, Phantom Slayer. Has now done one for the Sizigi game by Spectral Associates, which is an actual adventure game where you had to type in commands. So this is a bit different than our Phantom Slayer or Daggereth, where it's you know very quick keystroke type things. So we actually, in this case here, he has the whole VR thing for walking around and turning around and everything else like he has in the past. He has a joystick thing in his hand to do some of the other you know fighting with the. Uh, lightsabers because that's done by joystick but he actually added voice recognition software to actually map certain phrases he would use into what the game needed to type in the adventure game commands not necessarily matching the exact same text so he's made this whole thing now that this text slash graphics arcade slash adventure game because it has elements of all of those totally be played through the vr system uh, i won't play the whole thing but i'll just skip ahead a little bit here so you can kind of see what it runs like and then i'll just let it go for about a minute as this game requires a lot of commands i'm using voice recognition software the lightsaber battles require a joystick which i have on my grifter gamepad and i'm using the omni for movement input while i'm walking here i'll read the inside of the cassette cover i'll skip that part you are trapped aboard a section of the death star you must get your lightsaber which you get string Vader has also depressurized the corridor which holds the computer that has half of the needed transporter coordinates on it, as well as the transporter itself, and the elevator necessary to escape. How can you walk through the airless corridor? There must be a simple way. Examine computer. Press 4. Your eventual escape lies on another floor, which is. Anyway, I'll play the whole thing because it's like yeah. 14 minutes long. But it's it's a really interesting interface for a Coco classic Coco one and two game to have all these combinations of the VR system itself, the headset plus voice recognition plus the keypad to simulate the joystick, and it, it all kind of intermingles together. I'd love it if you'd be able to attend one of these fests and actually show up with one of these systems here for all of us to try. That would just be awesome. So. Mm -hmm. If uh, Ben, if you're listening to this, if you can somehow arrange to be in Chicago for next year, once we figure out the venue, <laughs> then uh, shades of player to... one. Yeah, yeah. Is that it? Almost. I'm down, I'm down to two left. Okay, because we're running out of time. Yeah. 
Well, this will be a quick one here. This is uh, Dave, our own David Ladd has now started a new channel for his hobby stuff instead of just his modern, a mix of his modern gaming and hobby stuff. And he's got a couple of his old Coco SDC videos ported over. So he's going to be importing some stuff from his earlier things and then also adding new things that are specifically on his hobbies, not just retro Coco stuff, but other hobbies as well. And this one we just found last night. Uh, this is another Australian, uh, Tim Gardner, who uh, just picked up a Coco 3 from, uh, I believe he said he bought it from a woman that they said that they had the computer open for like a year or two and then packed it back away. So it's in pristine condition. He's just kind of relearning it because he had one back in the day too. Uh, obviously I won't play the whole video here, but just, I'll just show you at the beginning here, like this thing is in pristine shape. It was the first ever computer that I used growing up. My grandfather had it, and it's where I learned to type my A, Bs, and Cs. I can still remember uh, a game called um, Three Little Pigs, where I had to type the alphabet in quick sequence and hope that the wolf didn't catch up to me. So, I mean, it's just his intro, and he's he's got some of his facts a little bit wrong, because this is the first time he's touched one of these in 30 years. But uh, I'm hoping he does a series. We've also, Stevie and I have tried to get in contact with him to see if we can maybe get him on the show or to at least get interviewed for the show type thing because of course it's four in the morning in australia so nick's the only one insane enough to get up that early <laughs> and, and david yeah but it's 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 a pristine shaped computer and he's just learning like he doesn't have any extra hardware for it his uh, monitor didn't even quite work properly with it as it is either so he's just getting the stuff to get it up and running to see it in action and that was the last story i have for now um i'll return the screen to you guys Okay. Well, I have a feeling that uh, pretty much does it for the show, unless anybody's got something that's just burning to get in here. Crickets, crickets, crickets. Okay, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Mark, was there anything from the chat that we haven't really been looking at the last Yeah, one? that's true. Um, <clears throat> there was a question about uh, the Gimme X and decoupling from the, uh, what was it, update speed? Uh, it's back a long ways. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's about the only thing. I think everything else was uh, asked and answered. Mm -hmm. One funny comment that the, uh, the uh, 6809 was actually faster than the original 8088. And uh, this person brought that to the customer's attention at, radio sh at, uh, at a store. And uh, salespeople did not like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It all has to do with clocks and how you use them. Yep. Well, mm -hmm. I think what we're going to do is we're going to call this a show and put this puppy to rest because we're over three hours. What kind of show? Just a show? Is it a good <laughs> a show or a bad show? fire. <laughs> it's been good so far. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I've enjoyed this one. I mean, yeah. Oh, it was a good show. And Stevie never joined us. That's another reason why it's a good show. No, just kidding. <laughs> he, popped his head, he popped his head in chat a couple times. Yeah, yeah. He was supposed to join us about an hour in. He never did. I guess he decided to, you know, he got done with his commitment and decided to enjoy his time with his family. So, um, uh, Fedor was asking about the Microbox 3. I think he was working on something, but I'm, I'm not familiar with that. Is that one of those uh, FPGA clones? No, it's a, some 6809 kit computer from back in the day. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. Steve, how are you going to be able to uh, do a show with Steve back? I mean, he's not as organized as you. <laughs> well, discussions like that we'll have on Discord through the course of the week. Matter of fact, that's where most of us end up. If you uh, go through our previous shows or if somebody wants to post in the chat how to get 
our Discord link. Uh, Discord is a kind of like an old-fashioned bulletin board service with lots of channels to talk about different subjects. But also during the course of the week, we get together and talk in the voice chat area. And it can be anything from just simply goofing off to actually trying to get projects done. It's more the former than the latter, but still uh, we have a good time there. So if you want to get a little bit more cocoa during the week, definitely join us in Discord. Also, we uh, spend time on the Facebook group. Um, so when you're in Facebook, type in uh, Color Computer or Cocoa. That should lead you to that group. Okay, we're ready for the outro. Just one one, one, one more little quick thing I just want to mention I did think of. Um, <laughs> during the VR section at the end there, I'm really glad that our panel screens went really tiny at the uh, at the left at the right hand side of it. Um, I wasn't bored at all during that. I was fascinated by it, but I fell asleep a few times and I'm hoping nobody noticed. Mm -hmm. um, I actually have a sleep disorder called narcolepsy. So if anybody ever sees me fall asleep on the show, it's not because I'm bored. It's mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. all, all right. So um, why don't we go ahead and do that uh, exit video and we'll say our goodbyes. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8 bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Cause Coco Talk is rocking the eight big world. Yeah. Consider supporting the show with the purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at CocoTalk.live. Coco Talk would not exist without the community and its cast and crew and contributors. Coco Talk is rocking the eight-bit world. Keeping the tandy flame alive We may be mocked, but we'll never stop Cause Coco Talk is rocking the A-B-Y Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Morentes, Ron Delvaux, Rick Adams, Jason Reichert, Richard Larbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Reichert, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Steggy, John Strong, and many more, especially Steve Bjork for his production suggestions. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its contributors. The Coco Crew Podcast at CocoCrew.org. Glenside Color Computer Club host of Coco Fest at GlensideCCC.com. Retro Innovations at Go, the number four, Retro.com. Tandy Assembly at TandyAssembly.com. Voice on Technologies at BoySonTech.com. Get your own switcheroo and wallaby cable at CocoMan.biz. Cloud9 Technologies at Cloud, the number nine, Tech. Com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mix, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. I will say that the uh, 
second version of that uh, music there, Bruce, you did a great job on uh, on that. And then you got those nice breaks in there so that Steve can get in there and talk. Yeah, it works good. Very professional. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Yeah, nobody can, uh, can complain that we don't have good uh, production values on this show. Nope. Except for when it turns into a dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> or if I tried to sing. <laughs> yeah, but some people live for those moments, though. Yep. They bring the popcorn, in fact. Mm. Well, why don't you go ahead and push the button for the end of the uh, stream and everything? And we'll call this a show. We'll see you all next week, everybody. It's yep. a show. Goodbye. Everybody say goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.